This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. It's Monday morning. What is going on, folks? Happy Monday morning to you. Also, happy French Bread Day. Mmm. Ben's shaking his head like not a favorite. Ben, you just grab the soft, gooey middle. Gooey may not be the word. Yeah, forget Squishy. the crust. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the crust. It's too French bready. Just go for the soft core. You remind me of French bread. A hard outer shell. Really? Kind of crusty. But a really soft, nice inner core. I'll take that as a compliment. Are you with me? Yeah. Super cool. Sweet. Well, um, it's also Common Courtesy Day. Politeness and consideration for others abound on Common Courtesy Day. Say please, say thank you. Today's the day to just use Common Courtesy. Hey, please, sir, can you shut your mouth? Today is the day we're going to be nicer people. And why not? President Obama is in Cuba. A lot of people uh, excited to see him uh, opening up those relationships. Now Cuba's pretty much normalized. Back to normal. Does that happen? Does it just happen like that? They're not really back to normal. Well, there's a few steps that have been taken. You have a president of the United States landing and then hanging out in Cuba with his family. That's sure. pretty normal. Normal relations is the then president of that country might meet the visiting president at the airport. That's kind of weird. That didn't happen. Well, he's probably had a morning golf game. Well, the the State Department said that there was no discussion of any sort of meeting at the airport. And the official beginning of this visit is this morning. Where the two leaders will meet. Then, then the, 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 the visit actually begins. I wonder what people are saying about this. Like the Cubans They're not who happy. have been exiled. Not happy. Yeah. But I don't – what would be the point of continuing to have no relations whatsoever with Cuba? Well, I don't know. We seem to do it with a lot of countries. And it doesn't seem to help, does it? I don't know. Not for 50 years, or apparently 50 years they've been doing some of these. So what do you do? Do you just, I mean, they've tried everything else, right? Embargoes, they've tried all these other things. So maybe this is the new way of fixing things. You talk. Seems like that's how you do it in most other relationships. Eventually you got to talk. That doesn't make sense. I mean, eventually you got to talk. But what do you do? I mean, life, it's, it's hard. This is, this is you, either, you either love what President Obama is doing with some of these things because he's, he's breaking down a lot of barriers, a no, lot of things. I, I get in the 60s when they almost let the Russians build missile bases. That was a big thing. That was kind of, yeah, I could see why, why the country's mad at that. But at some point, move on. Well, except there have been a lot of Cubans killed by the regime. So a lot of families... Remember the stories of families, members, uncles, people that just disappeared. But how are you going to enact change unless you actually try to do something? I think that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. Just not talk to Cuba for years. Plus, all it did was just create a drive up in the price of Cuban cigars. It did. 
since they're, you know, illegal. And I think it was also pretty neat because it gave us a place to, to, to like kind of now go back and shoot any movie we want to from the 50s. Right. All the you cars are right there. go to Cuba. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, I, I lived in Argentina and it was always fun to see like these old cars. You're wondering where all the American cars were going from the 50s, 60s. It's going to, they're going to South America. It's neat. Well, we'll see. We'll see what goes down. I mean, a lot of people seem irritated by it, but no more <laughs> irritated, by the way, than Donald Trump, who still continues to make headlines. He's, he's, he came to Utah, and he likes Mormons. That's what he said. Just not Mitt Romney. Well, he, he, he's, he questioned Mitt Romney. Yeah. He, he, came to, he went to Arizona, apparently. I mean, th- th- this is – he's still – There was an energetic response to him showing up. Yeah, another uh, – just a, just a, what would you call it? People just, chaining themselves to their vehicles mm-hmm. to block highways. <laughs> Which is normal. Yeah. I mean, right? It's a normal reaction when a guy shows up. It's, people are, they're, they're, they either love him or they hate the guy. I had friends that wanted to go see his rally. Here? In Utah. Huh. And then they're like, eh, I don't want to die. You, you, uh, you wouldn't have died. And they, they kept showing one confrontation that I saw, but it was between like five people. Out of all the people that were there, but that's how that event now gets painted. Well, that's is how by it that, works, right? That situation. You only need one protester to create a, a major Trump rally fiasco. But he's he's still making the rounds, and today uh, Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're going to be talking about uh, SCOTUS nomination. What's the big deal there? Is that really going to happen? Is that going to go through? More about uh, his view on what's happening politically. Um, in the United States. And I mean, like, what is the future going to be? Is the convention, Joe keeps saying there's not, he needs the election, he needs the, he needs the votes no matter what. You need the delegates. He needs the delegates. So if he can't get the delegates before, then it's going to have to go to ballots and then it's going to get crazy. But we'll find out what Joe's take on that's going to be. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that you, I mean, at what point do you just start saying, okay, this is what's happening? This is the reality. Yeah. Just embrace it. The people have voted. This is what's going on. Bernie Sanders, by the way, came out probably stronger than I've ever heard him um, in a comment about Hillary Clinton. He's, he's for change, and he's convinced she's not going to bring change. She's not, which is some pretty strong rhetoric, stronger than he's ever used. That's a big deal because – He's got – he's going to go along – he's going to keep going. And if he keeps saying that she's not going to bring about change, even if she wins the nomination, it may bruise her a bit. Having the, uh, the, the most uh, – what's the word? The most supported, excited candidate, exciting candidate on the Democratic side that really draws crowds, 10,000 people per event. It's pretty big. Right. Bigger than Hillary. And yet the most exciting candidate says Hillary's not going to cut it. The other problem is, of course, uh, Trump can't get any love from the people in the GOP. The establishment, they're saying. Everyone always says the establishment. Right. As if, you know, some of these people aren't the establishment. But check out this. Lindsey Graham, still not sure about Trump. I believe Donald Trump would be an absolute utter disaster for the Republican Party, destroy conservatism as we know it. Ronald Reagan had a three-legged stool of conservatism, fiscal, social, and strong national security. Donald has a four-legged stool because he's the Donald. It's got to be bigger. 
economic populism, xenophobia, race baiting, and religious bigotry. That is his campaign. That is not conservatism. Yeah. God bless America. That made me laugh. That's good. Because he was reading it. Yeah. He saw, he starts the thing, he looks down, he stumbled a couple times as he's, but he's reading the self talking points. It wasn't like it was committed to memory, but still. You wonder who wrote the talking points. Well, I know. He's got, Trump's got people. But uh, Graham, Graham does apparently want Cruz over Kasich. Ted Cruz, in my view, is a real Republican who I often disagree with. I'm supporting Ted because I think he's the best alternative to Donald Trump. John Kasich is the most electable Republican. I don't think he has a chance to win at the convention because it's an outsider year. And John Kasich is an insider, and most of the delegates are looking for an outsider. I love John Kasich, but if he stays in this race, or they don't coordinate the efforts between uh, Cruz and Kasich, we're going to wind up giving the nomination to Trump. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because Lindsey Graham couldn't stand Cruz. He said it was between Cruz and Trump was either the decision between poison and a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> and they asked him to start out with, do you have any cure for the poison? He goes, we're working on it. A bullet. <laughs> we're going to figure this out. Oh, wow. He's, yeah, he's between a rock and a hard place. But Kasich, it's interesting, is the most electable against Clinton, but couldn't win in the convention. Because it's kind of throw the bums out convention. So then he's saying, do you, do you want someone that's going to win the nomination or someone who's going to be president? That's, his, mm. that's how he's trying to attack it now. Wow. It is a crazy, crazy election season. But Trump, you know, everyone's like, Trump's just always causing problems at his events. No, Trump doesn't, Trump doesn't want to see any riots. I don't know what's going to happen, but I will say this. You're going to have a lot of very unhappy people. And I think, frankly, for the Republicans to disenfranchise all those people, because if that happens, they're not voting and the Republicans lose. If, they, if the Republicans embrace these great people that are showing up, the Republicans are going to have a massive victory. It's not going to be a, a Mitt Romney slaughter because he was such a bad candidate. That's at the convention. If you, if you alienate Trump at the convention and kind of do not embrace him as the candidate, because he had historically said there might be riots. Now he's saying, I don't know what there will be, but so, some of the rules, will be angry. Some of the rules of how this process could happen where they if they have to go to a second ballot or a third ballot to find a winner some of the rules are fluid Mm -hmm. you can vote at the convention and change them there are people in charge of the party who can change them in a back room somewhere come out onto the floor and it's done and all the people all the delegates are like what just happened you guys just changed the rules my vote doesn't matter anymore well the funny thing is i would assume many of these people won't necessarily be the the delegates anyway well right so yeah. trump's people uh, but he's talking about the disenfranchised voter they could change rules that take all this process that we've been going through oh, sure. just wipe it away yeah so if that happens the riots will take place outside the delegate floor that's what they're saying yeah not on the floor yeah, but the, the delegates new, are going to be because the delegates are probably already fairly insider at the last convention they had in uh, what oh eight yeah there was a rule that was changed. John Boehner got up on the on the stand and he said, "Okay, we voted. The rule has changed. Now that we put it to an open vote, you know, everyone goes aye and nay, and audibly the nays were much louder." And he goes, "The eyes have it," and he moved on. <laughs> Next, <laughs> so oh, the rules will yeah. just change. The tangled web. Yeah. And it was a rule at that time. It was a rule to block uh, Rand Paul. 
Really? From getting well, any any influence, I guess. Reince Priebus, the chair of the GOP, made a very interesting point. He said when he was elected or, yeah, elected um, into his position as the chair, it took seven ballots. The first ballot – he said he led every ballot, but he had to get enough delegates to be nominated. So he said that could very easily happen with Trump or whomever, that he could lead – that he'll have to lead through seven ballots. And, yeah, then all of a sudden if they are changing a rule in between in the middle of some of these. Because they could do that. You do three ballots, they change a rule, and he wins on the fourth or loses on the mm-hmm. fourth. Yeah. You're like, ooh. <laughs> oh, this is crazy. It just looked bad. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get more info on that from our Washington insider. But first, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the world we need to be worried about? President Barack Obama, as we talked about, landed in Cuba Sunday, the first trip to an island nation by U.S. President in 88 years. Obama and his family showed up at the Havana Airport, met by Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez. Cuban President Raul Castro, who was noticeably absent on Sunday, will meet with President Obama during a welcoming ceremony at the Presidential Palace this morning. The President on what he hopes to achieve by visiting Cuba now. We still have significant differences around human rights uh, and individual liberties inside of Cuba. We felt that coming now would maximize our ability to prompt more change. Uh, Interview conducted inside a waterfall. Uh, The three-day trip is part of a greater effort by the U.S. and Cuba to normalize relations. Sounded like he was in the shower. They were walking through some museum or something. It's also raining, I think, in Cuba. Yes. Which isn't good because it's an island. It's It's an island. Wash away. Republican presidential candidates face important electoral battles in Utah and Arizona on Tuesday. The winner-take-all state of Arizona, 58 delegates up for grabs. In Utah, there are 40 delegates. Polls show Republican frontrunner Donald Trump on top in Arizona. Senator Ted Cruz dominating Utah. If Cruz exceeds 50% in Utah, he'll get all 40 delegates. If not, the delegates will be divvied up among the field. After, and this is the probably the best news of all. After Tuesday's contest, the GOP race goes quiet with only one more primary for nearly a month. Oh, heaven. So it's just like it's not even <sighs> happening anymore. Republican yeah. frontrunner Donald Trump will meet with party leaders Monday in, a wa- in Washington, D.C., where the billionaire will be giving a speech in front of the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. Uh, the gathering with top GOP make, uh, lawmakers, the first reported by Washington Post, is Trump's first major meeting with party heads since his visit to the nation's capital last fall. Then Trump and rival Ted Cruz had joined forces to protest the Iranian nuclear deal on the steps of Congress. The meeting is expected to include several members of the House and Senate, along with handful, a handful of GOP consultants. According to the newspaper, the huddle is meant to promote party unity. Hmm. Anti-Trump super PACs are planning to stake out the Trump meeting in D.C. on Monday to get tracker footage of Republicans who attend, per sources. Wow. So if you if you attend, you're now a supporter of Trump. Well, you know what? Did you hear? And we'll talk about it with Joe. The the Democrats are now trying to push the governors. The Democratic governors are trying to push in some of these contested Senate areas. Uh, they're they're making people identify. Are do you support Trump or don't you? And so if you're a Senate candidate, they now you're now needing to come out and be with Trump or against Trump. Because they're trying to divide and conquer. Hmm. Mm. In other news, and what is might have been called Watergate, if that name hadn't already been taken, authorities are investigating a mysterious break-in in Flint City Hall 
in Flint, Michigan in yeah. December. Somebody broke into a vacant Michigan office where the city's water files were kept. And the city's new police chief tells the Flint Journal that it was definitely an inside job. It's not clear what was taken from the room apart from a TV, though documents were strewn about the office. It was somebody who had knowledge of those documents that really wanted to keep them out of the right hands, said the authorities. They said the TV was taken, but not the power cable. So they don't think it was like a drug user looking for a quick hit to go pawn the TV because they know they need power to power the TV. Yeah, drug users aren't that drugged up. Right. That they forget a cord. It's kind of an odd quote. Uh, and this, on a lighter note, but one more important for me. What? Actor Ben Affleck. Yeah. Starring Affleck. in Batman vs. Superman, which oh, comes out this weekend. Yeah, here we go. His number one fan is his young son who's four years old, Samuel. But he can't see the PG-13 movie. Okay, good. Right? Yeah. So Affleck's not taking his kid to see it. And he says, he goes, I don't want to give him nightmares. Yeah, good. So the fact that the movie would give a four-year-old nightmares yeah. means the movie's going to be pretty good. Oh. Are you going to take your four-year-old? No. He wants to see it, though. He's seen the trailers. You could like you could use a, a company like VidAngel or whoever. Not yet. Okay. They won't have it yet. But what, what Affleck is doing is he's going to the editors of the movie and saying, hey, could you... Cut something up so my four-year-old could see me as Batman. Oh, hold it! Because if, if Ben's going to have it cut up, yeah. don't you want it cut up? Then well, sure, but I'm, I'm not Ben Affleck, so I don't have oh. any delusions of grandeur like some people I know. But sure, you do. Sure, you are Ben Affleck. You're Ben in our world. Oh, I had a lot of comments there that I just held back on. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, will be joining us. Going to find out uh, what's coming up uh, politically with um, Arizona, Utah, and those delegates at stake. What's going on there? Plus, what's going on on the Democratic side? Uh, how big of a, an impact will Bernie Sanders? I mean, if he doesn't win, but he keeps pounding on Hillary Clinton's uh, reputation, is that going to make a big difference? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, get through this crazy election season unscathed. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, today we've got our Washington insider joining us, Joe Cannon. Joe was a past uh, chairman of the Utah Republican Party and the uh, candidate for U.S. Senate back in 1992. He also served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency uh, under the Reagan administration. Was also a, a editor of the Deseret News, which is an Intermountain newspaper, very... Um, very popular newspaper in the Intermountain region. And uh, Joe joins us now to basically play the role of Washington insider because he acts like he isn't a Washington insider. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. We know you're not, but you are a Washington insider. Hey, what do you think of uh, President Obama in Cuba? What do you think about his... I mean, he's normalizing He's he's normalizing relations, it seems like, with Cuba, Cuba and... Some people are pretty mad about it. There was a pretty rough history there. Well, I'm pretty conflicted on this. I mean, for one thing, it's it's sort of crazy that we don't have better relationships with Cuba. And and so I think that's a good thing. I guess the problem I have, which I think quite a lot of people have, is, is that we're bestowing the enormous prestige and power and sort of ratification of the United States on Cuba with, Nothing in return. In other words, there's no 
There's no liberalizing of, of human rights in, in Cuba. There's still prisoners. There are Americans there. There are all kinds of things. It just seems like it's a, um, you know, we we conferred a huge benefit on them, but we didn't get much in return. Mm. And that, that's the problem I have. I mean, the whole idea of normalizing relationships with Cuba is a really great idea, but it has to be a little bit bilateral, and there's... There's not much to buy. Yeah, buy in this bilateral. Does does it appears? It appears. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, what you think. maybe maybe that's what we'll see. Is something will now start appearing. But I guess that's what you're saying. Is it? It seems like it should be more overt, more out there. We should know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It also does seem like a really good vacation for the Obamas. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they're having a great time. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Cuba? No, I'd, I'd like to go to Cuba, but I'd like to go to Cuba if it were more like Costa Rica, a little, oh. a little freer. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So, so that's that's a big uh, part of this. What um, I mean, in a, in a way, that is one of the things that we see. I guess that will be a strong legacy of President Obama. With, I mean, he's taking a lot of these countries. We have not yet been able to do it with North Korea, but apparently with Iran and with Cuba. Uh, removing sanctions, removing some of the uh, restrictions on them. Yeah, I mean, his goal is clearly to make, uh, if not friends, sort of some constructive alliance with uh, former enemies. So I think that's a pretty laudable goal. Not clear how it's working out, you know, from an implementation standpoint, at least from America's interest. Uh, it doesn't seem like we've gained much in either case, Uh to, to be seen in the Iran case. I mean, the, the argument Joe Biden told APAC this weekend that, uh, you know, the, the Iran deal ensured no nuclear weapons. Well, it's to be determined, to be hmm. seen. Hmm. So so when you, as a as an insider, or what, what, when you hear on the on the inside people talking about Obama, is, is that the biggest complaint? Just that we, we are, we are kind of getting rid of a lot of these enemies, I guess, but we're not necessarily gaining much. Well, that, I mean, that's what a lot of the people who, who oppose the president think. I mean, people on the president's side, you know, insiders think this is great. This is reshuffling, restructuring the power, balance of power in the Mideast. So mm-hmm. that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. If you believe that's the case, then, then that's a big deal. And that's sort of their talking point. The talking point on the other side is, yeah, but we didn't get much for it. And one thing we know is they got a hundred... 50, 100, 150 billion, who knows exactly how much, but a lot of money going straight into their economy. Plus, the removal of sanctions means that the European governments are just moving in like crazy into Iran right now. So, what you're doing is you're propping up the dictatorship economically. You're not giving much relief, or at least nothing that's apparent to the to the dissidents there, who could be making a big difference. Hmm. But yeah. I don't know. There's some pretty smart people who who like the Iranians, including some Republicans, think, well, okay, maybe it will, maybe it will free up, uh, maybe, you know, there's, it will lessen the grip of the mullahs on uh, democracy, and maybe, maybe something good will break out of it. I, I don't know, but to me, on the surface of it, it looks like we gave up a lot and didn't get much. Yeah. Talk about, you brought up that, is it the APEC conference? APEC. in, yeah. And talk about that, because, uh, how 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 is Trump, for example, seen in there? Because he 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 for he um, he basically denied or uh, was unwilling to go do the a debate in Utah, and went to this conference. Uh, basically, I guess to 
to support or show support toward Jewish settlements, Jewish, you know, what? Yeah, well, he's, uh, all I saw this morning was he's, there's, a, there's kind of a surprise in store. I haven't seen exactly what he said or going to say there, but, uh, you know, APAC is uh, it's called the American Israel Political Action Committee. So it's, it's all... Uh, it's all about support for Israel. Uh, they've had a very uneasy alliance with uh, President Obama because they, they perceived him as as uh, not being in the best interest of Israel. And, and APAC actually came out and lobbied aggressively against the Iran uh, treaty. So they have a very uneasy relationship with Obama, and that's why I think he sent Biden <laughs> to, yeah. to talk to him. Um, uh, on the other hand, most most members of APAC are Democrats, and many many of them are also liberal, and and they have a a deep sense of mistrust about uh, Trump and Trump tactics. They they view them as uh, you know at best populist and at worst even you know worse than that. Mm-hmm. And so you've got some rabbis you know leading a boycott. Uh, um, a boycott of Trump. So I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he expects to get out of it. I mean, what he does, what he does really, really well is say what people want him to hear. So when he's in Utah, he talks about how much he likes Mormon. Right. Other than I'm not sure that Mitt is a Mormon in his mind. Yeah. But, yeah, that did. But, yeah. You know, wherever he goes, he says what people want. He's the, he's the archetypal definition of a populist. Mm-hmm. He's basically saying, you know, playing to the fears and hopes and aspirations of um of the people who, you know, whatever it is they want. And he manages to craft his message to, to touch on those subjects. Man, is he, um, what do you sense uh, is going on? Because now there, there seems more and more talk about, and we talked about this last time, about a kind of a brokered convention in a way. But mm-hmm. is um, it, it, it seems like... It, more and more people now are kind of jumping on uh, more overtly, I guess, the cruise bandwagon uh, in support of cruise. Is that is that the idea now? Is everybody try to send your votes toward cruise? Mostly, I mean, there's some people who still are picking Kasich out of this, but but mostly, I just see so many many people who just couldn't stand Ted Cruz. You know, one week, two weeks, five weeks ago, and they're all they're all in for Ted now. <laughs> Just because he's not Trump, and that's the big key. He's not Donald Trump, and yeah. so, and and I guess the, the interesting thing about it is, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but the interesting thing is, you know, the the populists, the Trump people, and all the people who are trying to make way for Trump. I'd say all of his enablers at Fox and and Rush Limbaugh and others, uh, they're they're kind of enabling Trump and sort of touch, you know, really trying to touch this populist vein. They all say, well, it's the establishment who's against Trump. Right. And, and they're, to the extent there's an establishment, it's certainly against Trump. But what I sense on the part of pretty smart, just conservatives are afraid that, that this could be the breaking up, the busting up of the Republican coalition, the Republican mm-hmm. uh, uh, team. And, and that's A. And then B, they're just afraid that if Trump gets nominated, uh, that it, he'll, he'll lose you know, dramatically to Hillary or Bernie Sanders and take the Senate and the House with them. And and it's just because of a, a fairly narrow set of people like him. I mean, here's what's the, the frightening thing. Maybe you saw this, but 
the Deseret News, that great old paper that I was used yeah. to be editor of, that did a survey which shows both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton beating Donald Trump in Utah. Holy one cow. Of the, one, of the, one of the reddest states in the United <laughs> States. But they would pick uh, Hillary or Bernie over, over Donald. Over Trump, yep. yep. And that, that's the one of the reddest states in the country. So if you're saying that Utah has a chance, to, its electoral vote's going to, certainly to Hillary Clinton, it's not going to be Bernie Sanders. Um, the... Uh, Wow. That's a big deal. What, what does that mean for Ohio? What does that mean for Florida? What does that mean for some of these other states? Mm. And you're saying you're saying it's kind of a nightmare scenario because Donald Trump is locked up. The, the Republican Party is basically a loose coalition of conservatives, libertarians, and populists. Yeah. And and what Trump is doing is appealing to that populist. Even now, you know, the most of the, the, the real clear politics average has him nationwide at 35 percent. I mean, it's not Trump is 65 percent. I'm coming around to your question. <laughs> no, no, you're good. So if, if you get a uh, if you get a, uh, a contested convention, as it were, that means that Trump goes in there with less than 1237. Um, what that means is that a majority of the delegates there are not for Trump. And the rule is people talk about, oh, they're going to change the rules. It's going to happen. No, the rule is 1237 wins. You don't have 1237, then you vote till you get 1237. You got to get it. Uh, another factor is in there. There's a couple hundred delegates who are, go to the convention. They're not super delegates. They're elected, but they're not. Uh, they're not beholden to any particular candidate. So a couple hundred is hmm. not, not trivial. So if you, if Trump doesn't get in there with twelve thirty-seven, they go past one ballot. You're going to see a lot of jockeying around. Now maybe Trump still emerges. I mean, he's the great deal maker. He says so. Maybe he makes a deal with Kasich or even Cruz. I don't know. But at, at the end of the day, uh, you have a, con- a convention that's going to say we we want to win, and we can't win if we have a total lock hold on thirty five percent of the vote. That's not going to win. Mm. Is and it's not. <laughs> what, what do you sense? So Kasich is really just staying in because uh, he really has no path to to get enough delegates until the convention. Is he just staying in to stay in? Because he's it seems like he's killing Cruz's shot now. Yeah. Well, in the winner-take-all states, there's no question it hurts uh, um, Cruz badly. Kasich hurts Cruz badly. I think he's staying in just so that when he gets to the convention, whatever small number of delegates he has, A, he can, you know, make deals with respect to them, or B, uh, being a candidate, maybe he believes somehow the convention will turn in. There's zero there's zero chance, like, you know, and I, I really like John Kasich. Yeah. I think he, I think he's a terrific person, but he is. There's zero chance he's going to get the convention turning to him. It's going to be, like I said last week, it's gonna, out of that convention next July in Cleveland, Ohio. It's going to be either Cruz mm. or Trump. Wow. It's not, there's not a. It's not. They're not going to turn to Romney. They're not going to turn to Paul Ryan. They're they're not going to do that. It's got. It's uh, got to be those that are already in the race, huh? Yeah, I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying that, that there's a legal issue. I'm just saying that it's just extremely unlikely that the yeah. delegates are going to turn to somebody who's not one of the big guns 
at the convention. Already. Let's take a break, Joe. Come back. I want to talk about what a unity ticket is. Uh, I keep hearing talk about that. also want to get into the Supreme Court uh, nomination, anything new there, and um, and find out uh, more about what you think is going on with Hillary and Bernie Sanders, because he's he keeps getting money and he keeps beating her up. And, and no doubt, Bernie's got, it seems like, he's got the emotion, he's got the energy of the party. Um, so what happens when your candidate doesn't have energy and keeps being beat down, but still wins? Uh, those against him. We'll get into all of that more with Joe Cannon when we come back. Folks, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization fighting to lower your fuel costs and improve the markets um, on, in fuel and on fuel um, in the United States. So he's fighting for you, folks. And uh, if you want more information about the work they're doing at the Fuel Freedom Foundation, go to fuelfreedom.org. Uh, great, great service, Joe. Appreciate you being with us. And also glad you're our Washington insider. Are you there, Joe? Hmm. Oh, here oh, we go. There you go, Sorry. Joe. There you go. That's fine. I had you, I had you on mute for the break. I'm ah, okay. that's good. That way, yeah, you could probably brush your teeth. Hey, uh, Joe, here's the deal. I know you're uh, out of town and, and working. Um, here's what I want to know. What, tell me what you think is going on. Anything? Have you heard any news about uh, President Obama's nominee? Judge Merrick Garland. Yeah, no, no news. I mean, you've got the Democrats posting up saying that the, the Republicans have a duty to hear and uh, have a have a confirmation hearing anyway. Um, and the Republicans are saying, no way, no how, not going to do it. And so I don't, I don't think there's any news. I don't see any breaking, any any breaking in the on the Republican side. There are a couple of Republicans who would at least say they would like a hearing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, it doesn't look like. And, and th- those those Republicans are probably senators in, con- in you know in a in a more contested election year. Exactly, right. yeah, exactly. That, that are worried about a contested election. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's I, I, what I hear just down the road. Tell me what you think of this. Um, apparently, they are uh, con- they're they're trying to basically uh, Obama is pushing. Democratic governors to push on Republican candidates to see if they support Trump in those contested areas. Have you heard oh, that? That's interesting. I have not heard that. That's very interesting. He's he's basically yeah. saying, governors, uh, it's time to it's time to start pushing to see if these people in these contested areas are in any way supporting Trump. So making them take a stand really early. Mm-hmm, and well, uh, any pressure. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a clever move. But I think what you've got on this is, you know, even Orrin Hatch is, is, is tries very hard to be bipartisan and open to the to the other side is just rigid mm. on the on the no hearing. No, they're not just not going to bring the name up. And just just to be fair, I, I think I may have said this last time, but if you think of the counterfactual, if right now. George W. Bush were president, right. and Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and Harry Reid were the uh, majority leader. 
you'd have exactly the same situation. Mm-hmm. Exact. In fact, there are quotes out there, Harry Reid, saying, you know, in older times, that the Senate doesn't have a duty to act on presidential appointees. Of course, that's only when Republicans are president in, 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 uh, in uh, Senator Reid's mind. But, yeah. but anyway, that's... Uh, one one uh, of the things I also heard is that the Republicans really could could delay, delay... And, and they maybe McConnell hasn't handled this politically. Uh, we talked to a man that was an expert around this subject that basically said he's he's just signaling all of these different factions of the GOP that he will take a stand or whatever. But he said the bigger point is we could the GOP could end up waiting until they know who wins the election in November, and then in kind of in that lame duck here at time pass. Uh, if if Hillary Clinton wins, then they could more quickly just pass through and the nomination of President Obama if they think that he'd be a kinder, gentler nominee. Could be. I mean, he's uh, he's a very well respected judge. Yeah, that's, that's to his favor. A, uh, B. I think the only principled uh, position that the Republicans have is: look, we have an election coming up. This might be the single most important issue of the election. Let's let the people decide. So if the people decide to go with Hillary in November, then, you know, you take that argument away. Okay, you get, you've got the then nominee. You, then you got it, and, yeah. Uh, that's between Hillary and uh, and Obama. So Obama could withdraw the nominee or uh, push forward, you know. Mm. Who, who knows what will happen. But, but yeah, once the election's over, I mean, I think that rationale goes away. The people then will have decided. Right, they right. Want, they want a Democrat to choose the next Supreme Court uh Justice or justices, depending, and and so there you have it. That's, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it could happen in a lame duck. Yeah. T- talk. Uh, I, I probably should have gone to this first, but go go back to uh, the GOP side and talk about what a unity ticket is. Well, <laughs> boy, if I, this goes to convention, what is a unity ticket? It's so hard to say because if it goes to convention and it's not Donald Trump is on the top of the ticket. He's not going to be vice president. Yeah, you right. Know, he's not going to. So, I don't, so if the convention decides not Trump, then I don't see what the unity ticket is. I think mm. it's, it's it's Cruz Kasich, it's Cruz Rubio, it's Cruz somebody. And now if it's Trump and Trump does go there, then then a unity ticket would be. I don't. I, it could be. It could be um, Kasich. I I just I don't see Trump Kasich. I, I, yeah, I don't see a Trump Cruz. I don't see a Trump Rubio. Uh, I don't see a Trump Paul Ryan, for example. So I think the, the the most plausible quote unity ticket. It wouldn't be really a unity ticket because it's ignoring the whole body of conservatives who don't want either Trump or or Kasich. Right. So so really, who knows? Who knows Mr. Dealman can come up with a with a with a Trump Cruz ticket. Right. Um, that that would be total unity. I just it's just hard for me to see that happening. But you know what? John F. Kennedy chose Linda Johnson. They hated each other before, during, and after. And they they pulled it together. But I guess it created unity, I guess. I guess that's the the issue here, huh? Is just, it's going to take some gerrymandering. And somebody, yeah, I guess this is why you need the greatest uh, negotiator of all time. Right. Well, and see if you really will negotiate that. You know, don't know. But the one thing you cannot underestimate is you watch the win. Yeah. He he does want to win, and he will probably swallow lots of whatever it is that he needs to swallow to get to get to a, a ticket that will win. And mm. 
you know, I, I, I don't see any ticket with Cruz at the top of it, with, with uh, Trump at the top of it winning. I just don't see how that works. The vice president makes a little difference, you know, but it, it's not. Doesn't make a huge difference. Yeah, it, it's not going to swing an election. What What would you say is going on? With Hillary on her side, she she seems to be kind of winning the elections, keeps uh, you know racking up the numbers, but she's not necessarily dissipating the energy behind Bernie. She Bernie keeps coming out strong, holding big rallies. Uh, it almost seems like in some of his rhetoric, he's pushing even harder that she's not the one to fight Wall Street. What's that going to end up doing? Nothing. I mean, she's going to be the nominee. Uh, she'll have the same issues that she already has, which is a, there's a huge enthusiasm gap between her base and the Republican base. And her only hope is a Trump nominee. That's her only hope. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that Cruz would definitively win, but she would have a tough race against anybody but Trump. Hmm. And I don't think it matters who her vice presidential candidate is. It's not going to be Bernie Sanders. Uh, he does have enthusiasm. He does have a lot of energy. He beats Trump in Utah. Yeah. Bigger, bigger than, than Hillary beats Trump in Utah. That's amazing. I mean, he, he, he had a rally last week. He's having another one today. I think 10,000 people in Utah showed up. Amazing. Uh, for it. So he's, he's, he's definitely got an, a movement level, you know, uh, crowd constituency, but. It's it's not enough. There's just there's, there's no chance that he's going to be the nominee. Well, and and I guess um, the, the party itself can't even get him to turn it down, right? Because I mean no, he's he's there for a movement. He's there he's, to create he's, change. Yeah, he's a movement. It's just like if, if Pat Buchanan were running, as he did run. Right, right. No one's no one's going to talk about him because he had his core constituency, which, by the way, is pretty much the same as the Trump constituency, just not as not as big because Buchanan wasn't as uh, he wasn't on popular. TV, right? Uh, but um, but same constituency. And the fact is, when you've got a movement going, you're not going to quit, especially if it's a sizable movement in in, in Bernie views himself as somebody from the left, pushing, pulling, cajoling, doing everything he can to move public policy in his direction. Hmm. You know, you've got millions and millions of people behind you. That's not a bad place to be. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, really. Hey, uh, I know you got to go. Um, you got okay, some yeah. some deadline coming up. Anything else we should be paying attention to, watching over the next few days? Well, I mean, you've got tomorrow. You've got the two primaries. Uh, uh, Utah's proportional. Unless somebody gets 50%, the last public polls are so unreliable of delegates. But the last poll I saw had actually had Cruz getting more than 50%, so he might get all the delegates from Utah. Uh, Arizona is not proportional, so Trump is ahead there. He still doesn't have 50%, but he's, he's well enough ahead that he's likely going to win that. If he doesn't, then that would be... A very significant sign, but I, I, I think Arizona goes to Trump, Utah goes to Cruz, and um, and Trump doesn't get, you know, he's still agonizingly away from the twelve thirty seven. I so when you add up the delegates to date, Trump has six hundred plus, but not Trump has seven hundred plus. So right, right. You know, if you're still, you don't have a lock on the convention, and lots of surveys show that. You know, the Kasich, Rubio, Bush delegates, they're not going to be moving to, in Trump's direction, even if they don't like Cruz. Right, right. They might sit it out even. Interesting. Well, we appreciate you, Joe. Have a great trip. Travel safely. 
Thanks a lot. Good talking to you, man. You too. Thanks. Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Again, you can find out more about his work at Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go to fuelfreedom.org, fighting for to lower fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow, I have figured it out. This is how you do it, Benjamin. Yes. If you want to solve the political riddle that is this year's presidential race, this is what you do. You... Mm-hmm. Tase it. <laughs> you can just line them up and tase them. And whoever can take the most tases. Um, no, you. what you do is you run it like the NCAA tournament. Have you been watching this, these games? I haven't. Oh, my heavens. So this is the first year. I've always kind of watched a few. I always watch like the Final Four. But um, this was the first time I put together some brackets, right? Did you ever put together a bracket? No. Uh, it'll change your life. Okay. So I did some brackets with my kids and – We now are excited about every game because you've invested time guessing and trying to figure out what team's going to win. And then you put together an entire bracket. It's super cool. But yesterday uh, had some – I mean this is the year of upsets, tons of upsets. But last night, are you kidding me? There were some incredible games last night. the one that I saw, where was it? Oh, I want to see the final score. Uh, oh, Oregon St. Joe's was pretty tight. Uh, Northern Iowa and Texas A&M. Holy cow. Northern Iowa was ahead by about 10 points with three minutes left, two minutes left. I think it was even down to about a minute. Texas A&M comes back, ties the game. Then they go to two overtimes and Texas A&M wins, which they were supposed to win. But uh, 11th seeded Northern Iowa almost beat out Texas A&M. Incredible game last night. And then where's the Wisconsin game? The the Wisconsin-Xavier game? Holy cow. Wisconsin shoots a three-pointer to win the game with one second left. Unbelievable. So seventh seed beats a two seed. This is so exciting. You got to get more into it. If we had our political candidates... What we ought to do is just put together a bracket where everybody puts their favorite candidates into the race, and then we have them compete one-on-one. And it would have been really good this year because you have 14 GOB candidates. Oh, it would have been fantastic. And it's, I mean— There's a Sweet 16. You could have—and weren't there 17 candidates at some yeah, point? Yeah, I think so, so. So just boot one out and start at Sweet 16. If you want, you could put 32 in and then just have brackets. And you'd have to have some contest between the two, and it would have to be fair, right? But there should be a debate contest. There should probably be some physical contest. Maybe you stand in a ring and fight, yeah. you know. Maybe basketball. Yeah, maybe shoot hoops. Yeah, I'm just telling you. It's super exciting, and it's, it's not going to cause as much violence as like some of the Trump rallies. I'm not sure about that because well, I, I think Trump will get really into the brackets. Yeah. And then use that to incite violence. See, but then it becomes just head-to-head competition. 
Sometime I think in the next week we are we're, we have one of our producers doing a special report on the duels, dueling that have got that that have you know I guess marred our political history. A real duel, like we can't do a real duel. So let's break this thing down, and then you get to the final two. And when you get to the final two, you're just they're fighting for president, right? And you just figure out a way. It's a debate. And then that night, everybody gets online and everybody votes. And whoever wins, wins. You make T-shirts, right? Yeah. Make T-shirts, signs. I mean, apparently everybody's trying to steal Donald Trump's signs just because, you know, that's just fun to have on your wall. I'm telling you, this could work. And then you do it all online. And you you figure out how to do that safely so people can't, you know, jerry-rig the system. But I'm telling you. Uh, that's patented by Matt Townsend. Just licensed and trademarked. Patent pending. Patent pending. Yeah. Good stuff. See, folks, helping you find the solutions you need to your political problems. Bracket it. Put it in a bracket. It works with the NCAA. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us next hour. We'll find out if pets are good for you. Interesting, interesting stuff. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's a uh, It's a Monday. I'm not a Monday morning guy. Why's that? I just, I'm more of a Friday afternoon guy. Okay, I can see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just think it just, I do better. I used to hate Mondays also. Then I decided uh, it's just another day. Just get up, do your thing. Just, it's just another day. Don't worry about it being a Monday. A lot of people who have a problem with Mondays, it's because they dwell on the fact that it's Monday. Yeah. Just have it be another day. Just have it be another day where you start another week of going to work. And 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 so you have to look at what you have to accomplish and what are things uh, that, that tend to pile up and end up you have to do a Monday morning and uh, try to alleviate those things. Just make make your routine the same every day and Mondays aren't so bad. See, you know, you ought to be a motivational speaker. I could, except my motivation is expect the worst. Yeah, it's and, very negative. And when it doesn't happen, you're, you know, pleasantly surprised. Don't like, be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Yeah, that's a great line. That's that's one I keep telling the producers. Put that on your put that on your bumper sticker. Yeah, meme that out. Hey, be, don't be an idiot. It's a great T-shirt. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> You're so motivated. <laughs> it's uh, it's a good day. It's a, it's a good day. It's it's the day we're going to talk about animals and pets. Do you guys have pets? Nope. No, nope. You don't. Since the accident, I've been. Yeah, I don't like talking about it. Well, I do. Uh, ben had a pet accident. He used to have a goldfish. Yeah. Right? Tried to take it for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so animal rights took it away from me. Yeah, mm. tell him why. Tell him uh, why. Do I really have to? Well, I will. So Ben makes ice cream, you know. And Ben is a student, so he doesn't have a lot of containers mm. to hold stuff. But he did have an aquarium. And he used it for a while in the ice cream making process. And people heard about it because it was on his his go 
GoFundMe mm-hmm. site. Well, I wanted to share some of my ice cream with my fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. But you'll learn. Rocky Road. Life is, is one series of lessons after another, and you've learned another lesson. After fish f- don't eat ice cream. I was the fattest fish I've ever seen. Huge. Right. That fish was huge. They say it was a, it was the first mixed goldfish puffer fish. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was really just a goldfish. With the, a lot of ice cream. But it was swollen. The, the first known case of an obese goldfish. <laughs> There's a lot of fat in ice cream, folks. Hey, um, we're, we're here for you, Ben. Don't think of it as a failure on your part. Think of it as, um, you know, a major, 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 major mistake on your part. Not a failure. Because you can keep learning. So do you have a pet? Does your family have a pet? No, we don't have a pet. Why not? Because they die. Yeah. That's kind of where I stand. Uh, That may become dad's pet. Yeah. Because who else is going to take care of the kids? In our house, it's mom's pet. And then mom gets attached to it, and then it dies. Or then we can't go on a vacation or whatever. So we... We've just told our kids that they can have pets when they have their own house. But I grew up, I had a pet, greatest thing in the world, named Buddy. He was the cutest dog in the world. Underbite, he was cute. <sighs> but my kids, every, every seriously, every month, they're like, we want a pet. We want a pet. Everyone, so-and-so just got a pet. Hmm. Well, that's when you go, go ahead, go over there and play with it. Go play with it. It's a cute pet. Just make sure it stays over there. Oh, it is sad because there's a lot you can learn from a pet, right? You can learn if you know how to take care of something. You can love on it. You learn compassion, you learn responsibility, compassion. all that. Right. You learn how to clean up its mess. To, you learn to grin and bear it. I learned how to quit dry heaving because mm. we had a pet, which is hard. Anyway, Dr. Harold Herzog will be joining us. Dr. Hal Herzog is going to be talking to us about uh, pros and cons of pet ownership. Is it good for you in the end? That's the other thing is I'm allergic to a lot of animals. Like cats, hmm. I couldn't have a cat. I can't even watch them on YouTube. You know, Ben can watch them all day, all day, hour after hour. And every time it's like, look at the kitty. I can't watch it. It drives me crazy. I just want to sneeze. Sorry for throwing you under the bus there, Ben. Well, it's true. You love cats. Um, so... We'll be getting to that in a minute. We also got to get to some of the headlines, Terry. Um, Donald Trump still causing, you know, some tension. I came in like a Our little one-man wrecking ball. But it seems like more and more people are gearing for him. They're they're aiming for him. They're trying to take him out. David Brooks. Yeah. Op-ed columnist for the New York uh, Times. David Brooks does not like this man. He, his piece on Sunday, I, I happened to catch it as I was cruising around. But he, he points out that uh, he goes some he goes some respect is in order. Trump voters are a coalition of the dispossessed. They have suffered loss, uh, lost jobs, lost wages, lost dreams. Hmm. The American system is not working for them, so right. naturally they are looking for something else. Right. He says. Moreover, many in the media, especially me, did not understand how they would express their alienation. We expected Trump to fizzle because we are not socially intermingled with his supporters and did not listen carefully for them. For me, it's a lesson that I have to change the way I do my job if I'm going to report accurately on this country. That's good. Good job, David. 
Then Uh he says Donald Trump is especially unprepared to be president. He has no realistic policies, no advisors, no capacity to learn. His vast narcissism makes him a closed fortress. He doesn't know what he doesn't know, and he's uninterested in finding out. Okay. He insults the office of Abraham Lincoln, (laughs) once occupied by running for it with the uh, less preparation than most of us would undertake to buy a sofa. Ooh. Trump is perhaps the most dishonest person to run for high office in our lifetimes. All politicians stretch the truth, but Trump has a steady obliviousness to accuracy. But see, David Brooks wrote the book on character. Yes. That's one of his big books. And and he also wrote a book on social intelligence, so the social animal. So he's being very honest. Socially, I did not understand. He's showing character by saying, really, I blew that. I needed to understand. He's really – He's very anti-Trump, but very – we need to understand Trump's followers because they aren't – they're disenfranchised. Right. Interesting. So he's taking both sides, kind of takes a hit on himself for not, yeah. not seeing this coming. But then he beats – he still can't stand Trump. He, Trump is dangerous to him. He also sort of calls for a, a changing of the rules to make sure that Trump doesn't win. <laughs> Interesting. So we'll see what happens. Wow. He's a big name. David Brooks what is he, Times? Is he Times or who is he? The New York Times. New York Times, yeah. yeah. So so I, I just found that he, it says that, he, uh, what, he insults the office of Abraham Lincoln, once occupied by running or well, for running for it with less preparation than most of us would undertake to buy a sofa. But honestly, don't you think that's true? Like, what, but it's because Donald first, is so good. Yeah. He, he probably doesn't prepare much. Now, now he probably is. Yeah, you can see now there's more yeah. depth to some of the things he's saying. He's going to come out with, uh, he says he's going to have a list of uh, Supreme Court nominees, ju- justices that he thinks could fulfill that position well. He'll why come out he, with that list this week. That? Why would know. he do that? No idea. I think he might have just said it at the end of a rambling speech, as the article put it, but uh, now he's actually going to follow through. So we'll see what happens this week if he does put out that list. But I guess that's one of the downsides to somebody that's so good at media is they don't think ahead. As much. Well, I wonder if that's how he he does business. He goes, "We're going to do this," and then he tasks his people to fill to fix the to to make it happen. Figure you it out. I, mean? I come up with the ideas. You do. Yeah. It. yeah. And that's kind of how it, it start. I mean, if you see his presidency, that's kind of how it started. As mm-hmm. he's coming down the escalator, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing, and he starts spouting his ideas, and then it, he has to make them like fully formed sort of as yeah. he's going along here as he's putting his policies together. That's a whole different game. So you hire smart people, like you said, right? Right. That's how you fix the problem. You bring in the smart people to do it. And that's, yeah. He's got, he 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 hires the smartest people. That's what he said. They're all Trumps, but he <laughs> hires them. I mean, it, yeah, that's just interesting. David Brooks, how? Wow. I didn't know he'd come out so strong. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, so Trump's, again, doing pretty well. He's behind in Utah. Cruz seems to be doing really well. Kasich is in second. Um, But uh, Kasich is in second in Utah, and then uh, Trump is a distant third. Like 11%. But in Arizona, Trump is ahead, 34% of the vote. Cruz at 21% of the vote. Kasich at 12.5% of the vote. So what do you do? I mean, you know what? You just brought us good news last hour that once we get done with Utah and Arizona. Yeah, the next primary isn't until April 5th, and then there's basically a month of nothing. That's really good news. A month of no primaries, no caucuses for the Republicans. The Democrats will have some, but 
That's great news. The people seem to like that news. So that's why this whole process may last until mid-June. But what it could mean is everybody can just take a break from politics. We could all just relax. Maybe this is when something could, I don't know. Yesterday was the first day of spring? Yeah. Go outside? We did. We did. We did a lot of weeding. Take care of your yard. (laughs) Go over to the park. See what's going on over there. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of frisbee golf at the park by my house. Really? Yeah. That sounds like fun. No. It it just means that when you're out there playing with your kid, you have to continually duck as people misfire their frisbees. (laughs) You're like, whoa. (laughs) You know, I. uh, Do you ever play frisbee frisbee football? No. Ultimate frisbee or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, that's super fun. Yeah, there's a lot of running involved. A lot of running. Not really built for that. I think that's where I pulled my my plantar for the first first Mm. time. I can see that. And the weird thing, I didn't know this, but the plantar was um, apparently also connected to my calves and my hammies, Ooh. my hamstrings, and my glutes. And your lungs, right? And my lungs. Because, yeah. yeah, it pulled the burner in my lungs, so my lungs started burning. The head bone's connected to the neck yeah. bone. It's, you, you, don't, you don't realize <laughs> how connected your body is to every part of your body. <sighs> you guys. Anyway, we will uh, we'll get we'll get more into the body later, I'm sure. But first, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the world that we need to pay attention to? President Obama will meet with Cuban leader Raul Castro at the Palace of the Revolution later today. Whoa! I don't know if that's how they said it. But I don't think so. No, it'll be the fourth encounter between Obama and Castro, and the longest and most substantial meeting that they've had. Yeah. That's the future that we hope for: young American children and young Cuban children by the time they're adults. Our hope is that they think it's natural that a U.S. president should be visiting Cuba, Obama told the staff, at the recently reopened U.S. embassy on Sunday night. Hmm. So it should be natural. So we'll see what happens. It's That's a three-day meeting. We'll see if this sparks any uh, changes. Well, it seems weird that, that they didn't pick him up at the airport. Well, like, there this was, is weird. There the was representatives here. of the government there, but the president was not there. Well, maybe he's busy. We'll see Dolphin. what happens. Republican leaders, adamantly opposed to Donald J. Trump's candidacy, are preparing for a 100-day campaign to deny him the presidential nomination, starting with an aggressive battle in Wisconsin April 5th mm. and extending into the summer with a delegate-by-delegate lobbying effort that would cast Mr. Trump as a calamitous choice for the general election. Sounds like a great spring. Recognizing that Mr. Trump has seized a formidable advantage in the race, they say that an effort to block him would rely on an array of desperation measures, the political equivalent of guerrilla fighting. There is no longer room for error or delay, the anti-Trump forces say, and without a flawlessly executed plan of attack, he could well become unstoppable. Wow, that sounds heavy. Yeah. Where did that come from? Anyway. We'll see. As they they set up their... uh, their 100-day fight. Donald Trump on Sunday promised to make public this week a list of five to ten judges he would nominate to the Supreme Court, seeking to ease concerns among conservatives that he would likely appoint liberal justices if he is elected. Hmm. He goes, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get between five and ten judges that everyone respects, likes, and totally admires, guaranteeing it personally like we do in the business, in the world of business, which we don't like to do too often, but I will guarantee it that these are going to be the first just judges that I put up for nomination if I win. A a spokeswoman for the campaign said Sunday night that Mr. Trump would release the names of those judges sometime this week. Wow, we ought to have a little wager on who those will be. I'm going one, Judge Judy, Judge Brown, two, uh, Rush Limbaugh, Judge Limbaugh, okay, Judge Hannity. Mm. This could be our bracket. Ooh, this could yeah. be bracketing. 
bracketed up. Speaking of brackets, for the first time since 2003, the University of Maryland men, men, men's basketball team headed to the Sweet 16 in the mm. NCAA's men's basketball tournament. You were talking about yeah. watching some of those games. Uh, what else is there? Maryland will face number one Kansas next Thursday in the next round. Texas A&M beat Northern Iowa in double overtime to advance. Wisconsin and Xavier with three-point shot at the buzzer. Oh, Top seed Oregon held off number eight seed St. Joseph's. So the Sweet 16 set, if you care, it's next weekend. How could you not care? There are a lot of people that don't care. Well, those people are crazy. A lot of people that do. A tourist accused of stealing a pizza driver's delivery car to head to the airport in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, will not likely be charged. The tourist, Quinn McQuain, 21, of Vermont, was reported missing Wednesday by his friends after he left the Elk County Inn. The same evening, a Pizza Hut driver reported his Toyota RAV4 stolen. It had been left uh, running outside the uh, the uh, the inn. Mm. Uh, we figured they would be related, said the local uh, sheriff. McQuain had paid cash for the flight to Chicago, was already en route, en route when he when the police realized what had happened because of the crime was classified as a misdemeanor. Extradition is unlikely, according to the uh, the newspapers there in, T- in, uh, in Jackson Hole. McQuain almost faced repercussion in Chicago, but security there was at the wrong gate and missed him <laughs> at his transfer. And then he took a... Papa John's pizza truck. Yeah, it was idling outside the airport and uh, took off. I just thought that was funny. That is... He walked out and went, oh, that's running and took oh, off. Is my car here? Okay. Oh, I guess I'll just take it. It smelled like freshly baked pizza pie. Awesome stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll be talking to Dr. Hal Herzog about pets. Are they good for us? Really? And uh, the pros and the cons of pet ownership. Stick with us, folks. Breaking down... Uh, the big debate that you might be having at your home to have a pet or not to have a pet. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Welcome back, everybody. Who let the dogs out? Hey, did you have a pet growing up? Did you have, a, or do you have one now? You know, do you have a cat anywhere near you? Calvin and Hobbes, 101 Dalmatians, even the fox and the hound are evidence of humans' fascination with animals and our pets. Some would say that we've only anthropomorphized our pets. Others would say that these animals have real bonds with their own owners, even souls. Our guest today is Dr. Harold Herzog, professor of psychology from Western Carolina University and author of the book, Some We Love, Some We Hate, and Some We Eat, Why It's So Hard to Think Straight About Animals. He joins us now live from uh, North Carolina. Dr. Herzog, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Who let the dogs out? Did you like that song? Great. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Great song. Talk to us. How did you get? How does a professor of psychology get into uh, all of these? All of the study of animals and own and pet ownership. Well, I started out as an animal behaviorist. My PhD is in animal behavior, but at some point, I got interested in the sort of moral complexities of our relationships with animals and. At some point, that sort of took over my research interest, so I closed up my animal lab and I started studying uh, human-animal interactions full-time, hmm. including our uh, relationships with pets. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, do, we, do we take it out of perspective? I mean, now there's, there's, there's entire television channels just for animals. There's uh, people watching hours and hours of pet videos or cat videos online. 
Are our pets good for us? Are they healthy for us? Or are we just now gone extreme? Um, well, I think both. <laughs> I think both of those are true. Um, the question is how we gone extreme. Let's deal with that first. I would say uh, yes to some extent that we have. Um, so, for example, uh, the idea of taking your pet pig on an airplane ride right. for free because it's an emotional support animal <laughs> um, strikes me as being a bit of a bit of an extreme. Um, as is as is to uh, walking into a Walmart with a boa constrictor around your neck because you it, because it, it's a uh, service animal which is going to warn you of an onset of an epileptic seizure. Oh wow! Uh, I I am. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned uh, uh, pet videos. My, it turns out that my cat and I have something in common, and that we both like uh, YouTube videos. And it turns out that there are not just YouTube videos of cute cats. There's also YouTube videos. Far cats. Are you and, serious? Uh, my yeah. cat loves those videos. My cat is absolutely addicted. It's what I call a kitty porn. She will sit there for long periods of time. Unbelievable. YouTube videos of mice running across the, across the screen. Does it's she hilarious. react to it, or does she just sit oh, there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're, uh, if you're listening to this show, uh, go to YouTube and uh, type in uh, videos for cats, and your life will change. You and your cat will have something that you can, that you can Unbelievable. enjoy together. Dude. It's really fun. Well, it's funny because parents do that with their kids. Hey, go watch YouTube. And um, now pet owners can do it with their cats. Is it just cats or are there? Absolutely. My, my cat, my, my, uh, my little grandson was addicted to uh, truck videos, truck mm. YouTube videos when he was about three. And yeah. my cat responds the same way to these cat videos. It's really fun. Well, that's funny because your behavior, you can see, you can, you know, you know what's going on in their head. Do dogs respond? No, they don't. That's a great question. It turns out that it's, it's a, a cat's, cat's response, and so do some lizards. Wow. Uh, but dogs, it's an it's, it's a, it's a interesting brain function called the critical flicker fusion. And it's, it's the way uh, animals' brains are wired. And cats have incredibly good... My, my, my cat will not only just watch a, a YouTube video on an iPad, she'll watch it on my, on my iPhone. <laughs> she'll, she'll, will she dial it up herself? <laughs> Yeah, critical flicker function—that's pretty amazing. Fusion, critical fish, uh, critical flicker fusion. Fusion. Yeah. Okay, I gotta get, I gotta go look into that. That's crazy. Now you ask, also ask if if, uh, if pets are good for us, didn't you ask? Yeah, that? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, for the most part the answer is yes, but I also think that it's sort of a mixed bag, and um, the pet industry definitely pushes the idea that pets have a lot of health benefits and uh, make us happier, healthier people. I think the evidence for that is much more mixed than hmm. uh, what you hear in the media. So so we might just be being sold? Because it seems like they, are, they also add in... Go ahead. No, go ahead. We are def- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, you, you just go right ahead. Okay. We're definitely being sold to some degree. And, uh, you know, as a researcher, what I do, my job is to do is to sort of make sense of, you know, all the research papers and the mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of research papers that have been published on this. And uh, what I found is that there's a mismatch between what the media tells us about the health and psychological benefits of pet ownership and the actual evidence. And the evidence is not as good as the media would have us believe. Hmm. Hmm. So um, some of it, I guess, is just it's almost like it feels more like a parenting instinct, like people end up treating their animals like their children. So it's just almost fulfilling a need to parent. 
I think that's absolutely true. It, it, you know, you can ask the question, you know, why do we, why do we spend so much time and money and energy on uh, on taking care of animals that are, you know, are not going to pay us back in the in the future. You know, they're not going to return the favor, mm-hmm. and we're not genetically related to them. You know, there's no sort of evolutionary basis for that. Um, and I think I think you're quite right. I think what, uh, you know, especially dogs and cats, animals like that, that they definitely. Uh, activate our parental instincts. However, the interesting thing for me is that this is also very influenced by culture. So that puppy, which is absolutely adorable and seen, and we treat like a little child in the United States, if we were to go to Saudi Arabia, where uh, pets are considered, uh, or dogs are considered unclean uh, in, hmm. in the Quran, we would find that, they, that they're reviled. They, uh, a, a, a puppy would be like a rat. And on the other hand, if we were to go to Korea, um, where they do have pet puppies, they also that puppy would also be something as uh, seen as lunch, mm. um, something that would be on the dinner table. So, so our culture plays a big uh, effect in terms of how we think about it. Oh, that's true, huh? And so culturally, yeah, we our our love, our American love of animals, I guess by many could be seen as you know just food storage. Or it could be seen as um, more of a just the kind of an unclean, even immoral act. Um, that's exactly correct. That that's is exactly interesting. Right. Does does uh, I heard somewhere, and I, you'll know better than anybody, um, it, that human beings are the only chronically uh, anxious animals, and the only other animals that are chronically anxious are domesticated animals. That are have kind of a kind of a chronic state of anxiousness. Is that true? Have you ever I heard would that? Say you know I, I I don't do animal behavior anymore. I look at the human side of the human animal interactions, but I'm almost sure that that's completely untrue. Okay. And so, for example, if you were to go to look at, at the social structure of a baboon troop in Africa, what you would find is that there are dominant males in that troop, and then there are. are Subdominant males, and there's and there's and there's animals in there that people just get that, excuse me that baboons that just get picked on all the time by the mm. others, and they have uh, they have you know quite a you know quite a miserable existence, uh, quite a miserable existence exactly. Huh. So I don't think it's true that we're the only animal that would uh, be chronically okay because it does, it just seems like if that's the case then we're probably doing a disservice to. Most of the animals that live with us is we're just stressing well, them out. Yeah, I, well, I think there are some ways that we disservice. Do, do we do disservices to animals? And part of it is the way that we have bred animals. So if you take bred the pets in our lives, so for example, take a dog like the English bulldog. These animals are uh, have, have terrible health problems, a mm. whole litany of health problems caused by the fact that we have bred them for certain characteristics. Yeah, we I guess yeah we want them squatty. Overweight, pudgy, big jowls. Huh. Yes, they, they have trouble breathing. They have uh, skin problems. They have heart problems. They have uh, just uh, they have they have bad hips. They have bones that ache. Tons of things like that. Hmm. Is um, you know is there talk to us then? I guess overall, if a parent is out there thinking, okay, maybe we ought, it's time to get our kids a pet this spring. Overall, um, would you would you say that's a there's the, the that's a good thing? A bad thing? Are there pros and cons to getting a pet? What should we be having going through our mind as we're thinking about this? 
Well, the one thing is we should be use a certain amount of common sense. For example, I had uh, one of my students came up to me uh, a year or so ago, and she said that she was pregnant. She was getting ready to have a new infant. And she said that she and her uh, husband were getting ready to, uh, you know, have this kid. And at the same time, they wanted to get a new dog. And so they were thinking about adopting a dog, and they were deciding what type of dog to adopt. You know, and they were thinking about, you know, the difference between a German Shepherd, a Pit Bull, and a Doberman, and a, and a Poodle. And um, my feeling about that is you don't want to be adopting any dogs right now yeah, in your life. Right. That, that, that's, not, that's really not the right thing to do in terms of where your attention is going to be. And it's also potentially dangerous no matter what kind of breed of dog it is for, for, the, for the kid. Similarly, it's Easter right now. Uh. When I was a kid, it was very common for parents to go out and for Easter buy their kid a little, you know, a, a, a bunny, a uh-huh. little bunny. Or right. maybe a baby duck or a baby yeah. No, kid. I got a baby duck for Easter. <laughs> I bet it died. No, it actually lived. It just it just was taken away in about a month because my oh, parents okay. were divorced yeah, and my okay. dad bought it for me. So when I brought a duck home, my mom couldn't roll her eyes further back in her head. <laughs> and that duck was gone. Gone to a pond. Well, that's not a, that, it, when, I, when I was a kid, the baby, the baby chicks and the baby ducks would also be dyed some sort of color, like oh, blue or pink or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they were horrible well, that's back not then. A good, that's not a good idea. But on the other hand, under the right circumstances, I think, I think pets can be great companions for kids. It depends on the kid. They're not going to be a great, they're great for every kid. And uh, there's some evidence, interestingly enough, there's uh, a woman that studied this most, Gail Melson, has found out that in terms of kids' interactions with pets, at least in the United States, there, there's not really many sex differences. You know, boys and girls get attached similarly hmm. to, uh, to puppies and kittens and things like that. However, uh, she argues that pets may actually have a specially beneficial impact on boys because it sort of teaches them nurturance. It, it, it's a good oh. model for learning how to care for things. So I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Interesting. So, uh, so yeah, pets, healthy uh, helps with bonding. Um, and l- let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll continue our discussion with Dr. Hal Herzog from Western Carolina University. And uh, when we come back, we'll find out more about what we could do to prepare our family for a pet, prepare our kids, especially maybe to, um, you know, what's the ideal age? What's what's what would be more advisable to to make sure the pet is healthy and strong? And, um, and, and really, what are all of the benefits that uh, come along with Having a pet in the home. Interesting stuff, folks. Helping you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. everybody to the Matt Townsend show you never caught a rabbit so you ain't no friend of mine hey uh joining us and uh trying to help us uncover and better understand our relationship with our pets Dr. Hal Herzog Dr. Herzog is a professor of psychology from Western Carolina University he's also author of the book some we love some we hate and some we eat why it's so hard to think straight about animals uh, we're so excited that he's joining us today. Dr. Hal Herzog, welcome back. Thanks again. I, I'm enjoying talking with you today. We're learning a lot. I think, this is, I think this is important because, you know, just historically, the relationship between human and uh, animal, I'm not assuming was always a kind of a friendship. It seems like 
It seems to me many, many, many years ago it would have just been a food source. Do you think? I think that's I, yeah. I think that's right. And um, you know what we see is that different cultures has been very different. So, for example, if you go back to the ancient Greeks, Greeks they had they had some pretty close relationships with pets. In fact, they had they had uh, funeral you know funeral and burial rites and cemeteries for pets in ancient Rome and ancient Greek wow. and Greece. And then at other times, there's cultures which there's, there are cultures which don't even have a word for pet, and so their relationships with animals are almost all all negative. Huh. Something that, to eat. That's that is that's um. So so what's happening to us? Uh, and is it? I guess is it getting more and more friendly? And is that meaning we're we're going to see them less as an as a as a food source? That that's a very interesting question. So it's a really it's a really deep question. And um, I guess I guess here's how I would answer that. I would I would say that yes, if we look at in our culture. What we've seen is, I think, in the last 30, 20 to 30 years, as we've seen a change in how we think about pets. Now, we certainly have had pets, you know, for, for hundreds of years. But in the last 20 or 30 years, we, there's been a phenomenon that the uh, pet products industry calls the humanization of pets. And we've more and more come to see pets as, uh, as people. Mm-hmm. And, and as real members of the family, 95% of people, when answered in national polls, say that they consider their pets to be family members, and increasingly we're treating them like them. So people were more willing to pay, for example, $10,000, $30,000 in, in veterinary expenses, let's say, for cancer treatments for their pet or for uh, you know, a, hip, a hip replacement. And they didn't used to do that. Hmm. Uh, and you mentioned before the you know this idea of you know television channels for for dogs, pet day spas, <laughs> um, Amtrak. Amtrak just I think yesterday I read is now allowing people to take take their dogs and cats on Amtrak trains because they think it's going to increase ridership because wow. people don't want to leave home. They don't want to leave their pets home anymore. Yeah, well you can't. So we have seen this change, and I think that I think the interesting thing is the other part of that that you asked was very perceptive. Is is this going to change the way that we look at animals in terms of for example, eating them. And, and I think that uh, to some degree, yes, because if you start thinking of your dog as a person, well, what's the difference between your dog and a pig? You know, you start thinking that your dog is a creature that has feelings and, and thoughts and mm-hmm. desires. You know, so does, so does that pig. So I, th- I, think there, I think there is a connection between changes in attitude towards pets and then how we uh, our, our, our changes in our concern for animals generally. Well, and we see it uh, with SeaWorld. SeaWorld is now no longer going to keep doing shows with orca whales. They're, I guess they'll keep the current bunch they have, but they won't be breeding any in captivity. And I mean, it, that again is that was that was due to a lot of pressure, social pressure. And I mean, it, think of that. It changes the whole SeaWorld experience. It does indeed. And and to me, there's an interesting irony here. I was thinking about this the other day. The reason, when I was a kid, uh, orcas, we didn't call them orcas, we called them killer whales, and they were seen as being evil. Mm. Um, they they were they were said that they you know, in packs that they would uh, uh, attack you know the good whales, and uh, that and and were were dangerous to people. And the interesting thing to me is that there's places like SeaWorld that sort of changed that attitude, right? Because all of a sudden they're bringing them to captivity. They're interesting these shows, and people are starting to see how magnificent, how smart they are. And then there were movies like Free Willy, and of course Blackfish. And what happened is now. SeaWorld, which was originally responsible, I think, in part for shifting the paradigm value yeah. about that, now it's shifted the other way. And so we sort of come full circle on this. Wow. And so really, I mean, again, I guess evidence that we are shifting our view 
toward animals. And yet, uh, I'm assuming with big, you know, pet companies that are supplying food and and all the supplies you need, uh, there's also the promotion that we all should own a pet. And and it should be good for us. Is, is it, do you find that to be? Are certain people better pet owners than others? Oh, of course. There are some people that are horrendous pet owners, <laughs> and there are some people that are great. There are some people that are great that are great pet owners. Um, How do we decide if we should be getting one? Well, that's a really good that's a really good question, and sometimes you don't really know. And I had an interesting example of that. I was talking to a journalist one time. Uh, she had moved to New York, and she was lonely, and mm. she had never had a pet before. And she had actually written stories about pets being good for people, and and all that. So she and so she she thought, well, I'm you know I'm lonely in New York. What I need is a dog to keep me as a companion. And she went out and got herself a Weimaraner puppy. And, uh, you know, was originally sort of a, somewhat attached to the puppy. But, you know, she told me we were talking about it. She said, you know, the bottom line is I'm really not that attached to this dog. And now I don't know what to do. I feel <laughs> guilty about having it. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can give it away. I've got to take it outside for walks five times a day. I've got to pick up its poop yeah. when I walk down the street. I don't particularly like doing that. And now I'm stuck with this animal Trapped. in this relatively small apartment, and I'm not attached to it. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes you don't really know. Mm. It's true, though, huh? And I guess you don't know till you're you're in too deep. Sometimes that's the case, and sometimes some people do get in too deep, and uh, we call them hoarders, and mm. that's not good for the per- people, and it's not good for the animals that are the the victims of their well-intentioned, uh, you know, basically collecting of you know crazy numbers of numbers of animals in their homes. Well, and I, I, that, I guess that's what it is, is we think that the animal would be a great way to not be lonely. But it seems like the conditions have to be also there, like not an apartment in New York. That's, 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 exactly, that's exactly correct. And I could look at, you know, in, in the neighbor, in my neighborhood, um, there were, uh, you know, some of the families had, had pets. And this was, you know, sort of su- suburban, you know, community. And uh, some of those pets were were not only well treated, but they were clearly had a very uh, tight relationship and healthy relationship between the pet owner and the pet. On the other hand, there were some people that had gotten pets simply because they thought every kid should have a pet, and the, and they kept they kept in this case it was dogs, a couple of them like that. The dogs were never allowed in the house. The kid, neither the kids nor the parents were particularly attached to the dogs. Hmm. And they were sort of stuck with these animals and the relationship wasn't working. So, you know, even in this one little, you know, community of maybe, you know, 15 homes, there was quite a diversity of relationships that people had with animals. What, what would you say to that family? I mean, because there is a weird guilt association associated with it, right? Like, oh, I don't, I don't love it and I, I don't want to give it yeah. away. Absolutely, and it's ten more years of life expectancy. That's right. That 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 that, that's exactly right. Well, I think for one thing is they is they you know you don't want to blame them because they were well intentioned, but the fact is that they got the animals for the they got the pets for the wrong reason. Right. And um, and but I think in in this particular case, I I felt really bad for the animal. I felt Mm -hmm. like the animal was leading a lonely. You know, the the dogs were leading a, a lonely life, being in a relatively small pen. You know, they weren't they weren't tied to, a, to a, a chain like some of the hunting dogs that I see around where I live. 
but on the other hand, I would not want to be that dog. On mm. the other hand, I would I would have, I would be fine with being a dog with you know Mrs. Holsclaw that lived down the street. You know, yeah, yeah, well taken care of. A little well. lap dog, right? That could just sit there and be totally served. Um, that's exactly right. That's interesting. It is. So I guess as parents, and and as the holiday comes up, a don't just go grab a bunny, or a and don't don't die a duck. <laughs> don't don't dye a duck pink a, a nice pastel to give to your kid, but and two it sounds like what you're saying too is really do a check do an evaluation of your situation and you know is it going to work and be realistic um, there's 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 cost to pet ownership um, there's financial costs um, the according to the ASPCA the average dog or cat over a lifetime. Uh, you will rack up about ten thousand dollars in bills for you know care and feeding of that animal. Mm. Um, so that's a pretty that's a pretty big chunk of chunk of change. There's also cost in terms of how it's going to affect um, your your lifestyle um, and what's going to happen. Let's say one of the things that, that I find interesting is that the um, the the families that are most the, the households that are most likely to include a pet are uh, families or homes in which there are children. Right. Um, they have the highest proportion of pet ownership. But on the other hand, the people, especially the adults in that family, they're the ones that are least attached to pets. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, got, they've got their hands full dealing with yeah, their kids. kids to raise. That's exactly what that's I feel. Exa- yeah. That's, that's, exa- that's exactly right. And so what happens is the people that are most attached to pets are people that are, are living alone or after the children have gone, but they have lower rates of pet ownership. Oh, wow. So, you know, at some point you retire, uh, you're, you know, your kids have gone and you want to travel and things like that, and, um, and that pet... Maybe uh, may, may, you know may sort of um, you know sort of sort of clip your wings. Clip yeah, your totally. Wings yeah, yeah, cramp your style. Uh, what your style. D- as we as we wrap it up, talk to us a little bit about your book. Um, it's it seems like it's such a great title of a book, really. Uh, and, and just maybe let us know what what's in the book. The book's titled "Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat." And um, what I'd love you to do is just explain what we would find in the book. Yeah, what you would find is a, uh, a, a look at our, the human-animal relationship from the perspective of anthozoology, which is the new science of human-animal relationships. It's a branch of psychology, sociology, history, veterinary medicine, lots of different things. And my uh, basic assumption is that we learn a lot about ourselves by, uh, by, how, by studying how we look at animals. So it covers everything from the ethics of uh, animal research, to uh, whether or not, uh, you know, if you were to come back as a chicken, would you rather come back as a, a fighting cock or a McNugget? And I conclude <laughs> you'd rather come back as a fighting cock. I'd rather be a fighting cock um, myself. <laughs> there you go. It covers our relationship with pets. It covers our relationship with meat. And it, the, the basic theme is how do you wake up in the morning and decide how to be a good person? Hmm. I mean, it really, it's, and, and how we treat our animals is probably a pretty good gauge of what kind of person we are. Based on our culture, I guess. But it's very, very complicated. Yeah, it it's is. It's very complicated, very fast. You know, why do we why do we eat one animal with without a bit of guilt, and we and we bring another animal into our lives and love it and love it so mm. so deeply. Interesting. And again, happiness. We may feel happy holding a pet, and it seems like you know they're taking pets to people in. Uh, you know, senior centers to help them be happy and heal. Is is that happiness 
Is that happiness coming from the animal? Is it a placebo effect? Or is there an actual physiological benefit to it? Okay, well, there's, there's, if, you take, if you take that animal into a nursing home, what you, get, what you find is that there is a, for some people, a lot of people, there is a physiological benefit. You actually change their blood pressure. You change their levels of the uh, social bonding hormone, oxytocin. You get a little rush of dopamine, which is the uh, reward hormone. On the other hand, if, and this was a recent Gallup poll, and other studies have found the same thing, if you go out and survey Americans and you say, you know, rate your, you know, you know, rate your scale of happiness on a scale of 1 to 10, what you find is that pet owners don't rate any happier as a group than non-pet owners. Mm. So pets are not pets are not placebo. They, I mean, excuse me, that pets are not panaceas. Yeah. Um, they they uh, they 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 can be incredibly incredibly rewarding, but not for everyone. We've we've always had pets, and I get a, I get a kick out of my cat, especially now that we can watch cat videos together, <laughs> which I highly recommend that yeah, all, all your listeners do. I think Hal, you probably have your own cat video website you're trying to promote. No, I don't. I have absolutely no. I have absolutely no. You need, you need <laughs> no to get some money in the game, Hal. absolutely fascinated by it. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, we appreciate you. It's wonderful insight. And uh, for all the dog owners and animal lovers out there, uh, you know, it, it does do a lot, I think, for us to just think about why we do what we do and, and think about why you eat what you eat. And where's the disconnect sometimes? Um, interesting stuff. Let, 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 me, yeah. let me mention one more thing real yeah. quick. Um, I write, uh, you, you, you know, go buy my book. That'd be great. But on the other hand, I write a, a blog uh, for Psychology Today magazine, which you can get absolutely for free. And it's called Animals and Us. So if you just Google Animals mm. and Us, uh, my blog will pop up and you can get... Um, you know, lots, lots of stuff of, on yeah, lots of stuff on human animal interactions from that blog site. Good stuff, and we love we we love the the blogs on psychology today. Uh, Hal, thanks so much. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll you know I'll see you in the chat room on the cat site. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, thanks take, for having take me. Take care, show. you bet. Good Bye-bye. stuff. Good stuff. Uh, appreciate again, Doctor uh, Hal Herzog. When you think about it, it's we just have these animals, right? And most of us aren't thinking too deeply about it, but it might be good to to you know figure out why and what you feel, and even open up some conversations with your kids about what they do feel when they're holding the animal, or when they're serving it, or when they're helping it when it's hurt. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons in how we handle and treat our animals. Great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. Helping you live longer, love stronger, and uh, maybe even get a pet. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, You know, they're animals. Really, you can learn a lot. I loved every day coming home when I was a young man. Uh, come home from school, and all of a sudden, I knew at my back door because I was a latchkey kid. No, my, no one was home when I'd get home from my school. Um, sisters were at their school or their other events. I get my key from uh, the milk box and would open up my back door. But my dog was always right there, buddy. Happy as ever, cutest little Maltese poodle you've ever seen uh, with his cute underbite. He just was so happy to see me. I'd hug on him. 
Every day. He was there every day. Then I'd go get him some peanut butter. I'd, every day I'd stick my nasty little boy finger in our peanut butter jar, get a big dollop of peanut butter on my finger, and then wipe it on the roof of my dog's mouth. And would laugh and laugh as that dog would try to lick off the peanut butter. It was my ritual that I would do every day with my, my dog, Buddy. Cute as can be. monster. I know. And, uh, you know, eventually that dog died of heart disease. And I have no idea why. I think my mom just fed him really bad stuff. Couldn't have been, you know, the jars and jars of peanut butter that I used to kill my dog. Anyway, but it was. It made me safe. It made me happy. It was. He was mine. He was my best friend. I remember when I got to pick him out of the litter. I remember when my mom surprised me with them in my in a bag of groceries after she told me to go get the groceries out of the car. Oh, great memories, folks. So animals, you can love them. Uh, they are also not what they always appear to be. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. One more hour. Lots of fun up next hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Man, we got a great hour coming up. Dr. Brian Willoughby should be joining us. He's a professor here at Brigham Young University in the Marriage and Family Department. Also is a uh, is in charge of their website, RelateInstitute.com, which if you are in a relationship or you're thinking of getting in one, you got to go to RelateInstitute.com. Ben, go check it out. It'll kind of get you ready to be in a relationship. Okay. It's got an assessment tool that you fill out a profile, and then all of a sudden... It'll give you things to go do, things to work on. I'll take some surveys while you're talking to him, yeah. and then we'll we'll talk. One of the things that I'm sure would help you, Ben, uh, is just following the advice of a town from the UK. The City Council of Salford City, England, has banned people from swearing in a waterfront area of the city, and civil rights groups aren't happy. The restriction states anyone using foul and abusive language could be fined up to $1,000 on the spot. Do you think I swear? I don't know. I've banned it. Okay. So I don't know what you're doing out on the out in the world. Out on the harbor. Out near the harbor. <laughs> That's the problem. These are all sailors, so they're swearing like sailors. That's problematic. So you're this, taking away their culture when you ban it. That's it. I guess that's probably what the civil rights groups are saying. Hey, people have a right as a sailor to speak like a sailor. You can't. You know. It's my right to do that. Well, the city's saying, look, you know, it's swearing. They've also banned depositing or throwing into um, or onto the water any animal or large object unrelated to water activities, including trash cans. So you can't throw your trash into the sea and you can't throw your negative trashy words out onto the docks. Now, this is a public like shopping, strolling type area. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to attract people down to this area the city is 
But there's also some uh, football stadiums, some yeah. soccer stadiums nearby. Oh, yeah. And they have hooligan problems. Oh, yeah. So as people pour to... out of the stadium and they're sure, swearing sure. and fighting and they're trying to alleviate the problem. Well, that's one way to do it is you just ban the swearing because when you take the words out of the hooligan, you take the hooligan out of the hooligan. Wow, that made so much sense. I mean, could you be a hooligan saying, dear boy, right? this team Top makes me morning. so mad that I want to... Use foul and abusive language. Hmm. See, it's... Yeah, you can't use the word hooligan to... No. ...kind of classify a person if they're not using said language. Mm-hmm. I agree. You're right. So so one way to help is you ban the swearing. Another way to help is you improve the praying. Mm. A Russian church uh, is to pay 11500 in debt in prayers for a construction company. Yeah. Whoa. Where did the monks come from? Well, Ben brought, ben brought in a quartet. Nice. Uh, it appears it's, it's my they're my roommates actually. Wow. Yeah. Oh, just when you guys yeah they did a shower song because hmm. it echoes so great. It sounds it? like it. Good acoustics. It appears that in some parts of Russia, prayers have legitimate market value. For a church in Russia, is getting away with eleven thousand five hundred in debt by promising to pray for the good health of the creditors instead. Hmm. That's great. The Russian Orthodox Church owed $916,000 in rubles to construction company ERA for designing heating system for one of their buildings, but they weren't able to pay it back. And so, you know, it created a, a, a settlement. Or a, they went to trial, basically. And in the pre-trial settlement, the, the church said, look, we can't pay it all. But we can pay this much, but then we'll pay the rest in prayers. And the other people are like, sweet. So you know the debt I have with you? Yeah. Um, I'll just pray for you. Well, you know what? The thing about a prayer is you kind of it's it's as good as the person giving the, you know, giving the prayer. So you should be paying me for my prayers. For your then. prayers. Yeah. Because like I'm double as good as any No. Um, you know what? Let's just have you keep working it off. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to well, keep working in the yard. What is the debt for again? Well, it's because you borrowed money. Really? Well, so when we found you on the front step of the BYU Broadcasting Building, I thought I'm going to love this child and bring him because remember he was messed up. Some other cat had gotten in with him and versus him. versus now. Well, more messed up. Okay, yeah, and um, <laughs> so we cleaned him up. We cleaned you up. We hosed you down. Mm, car wash. Uh, and it was that day that I decided to start making just a little, what would you call it? Just a log? A, li- a little register? I don't know what you call it, where I just, uh, no, I just, I just uh, made a note of everything I've spent on you. little spreadsheet. little spreadsheet. Just keeping the so, Excel spreadsheet. So maybe instead of a debt, it's indentured servitude. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that seems rough. Because yeah. I, I don't think I've been paid since I've been here. No, exactly. Well, you're paying back yeah. your debt to me. Yeah. Okay. Some would say you should just help your neighbor, but... Yeah. P- pity is expensive. When fact, someone takes pity on you, there is a cost. There's so. a big cost of pity. And I do love my neighbor because I actually need you to go over and mow their lawn this week. Mm. So if you'll get on that. Okay. That would be very much appreciated. Today, by the way, Common Courtesy Day. Another day that uh, we've been trying to get Ben to pay attention to. 
and French Bread Day. I think they go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. Take your friend some French bread. Or just wad up the inside of the bread, which is the best part of the bread anyway. Usually. That that just doughy mm-hmm goodness. Mm-hmm. Just my, give, give that to your friend. My father used to get French bread hamburger buns. Huh. Why? Because he wanted to fight his sandwich. Yeah. And just, yeah. I mean, you have to rip it's a lot and tear. Yeah. Every time he'd bring those home from the bakery, I'm like, what are you doing? How it, am I supposed to eat dinner? <laughs> I have to fight the food just to consume God. it. Get rid of the French bread. But he yeah. liked it, so. I kind of like it now. Just because it's... I, mean, I wouldn't want that on my hamburger. Yeah, it's no. some kind of weird for a hamburger. But just, it's good when you're, you yeah. know... It's, I mean, you know what I like just because I'm so health conscious? Well, what's that? I like to wrap my double bacon cheeseburger okay. in lettuce. No, I am no the bun? healthiest human ever known to man. No bun at all? No bun. Yeah. Then I just wrap it in lettuce. And then what's great about that whole thing, because you didn't eat a bun, hmm. you can have like twice as many fries. <laughs> well... Yeah. Know what I mean? No, but... It's super good. I think you're missing the point of the no bun when you well, throw you don't down to, the fries. Well, yeah, you don't have to have... You get a, a dessert. Again. So you just don't get the fries. You get, you get like one... You get like a load of fries, mm-hmm. but not a double load. Okay, sure. And you're, then you get a dessert. I'd get like a pie or something. You're cutting back. Yeah. There's less fries. Well, and yeah. And I'd have the same amount of fries. Well, I just won't have the bun because okay. buns are bad for They're you. horrible. They're yeah. horrible. Yeah. It's just what I like to do, to be healthy. A little help for all of you out there and listeners. Or, or when I was a kid who was at uh, the refrigerator Perry. Oh, yeah. The Walter. fridge. Walter. Yeah. So he had, it was this, it was it was either, a ma- it was, mag- I think it was a TV ad, but they made it into magazine ads and all yeah. stuff. But he's sitting in front of this grill and he had like all these hamburgers. Oh. And he goes, look, coach, I'm cutting back. I got a Diet Coke. <laughs> but he had like 40 hamburgers in yeah. front of him. That's where I started, drinking Diet Coke and eating hamburgers. There you go. And that's really what it is. It's about taking a step. But I liked it because he was a professional athlete. I didn't get the fact that he was like... <sighs> athlete? He was named after an appliance. He was a professional get in the wayer. He's the first lineman. Because that's what a lineman does. They get in back. the way. He was a running back. They'd hand him well, the ball. he sort of fell down in the Super Bowl into the end zone. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> He was my hero. He fell down and scored a touchdown. Walter, the refrigerator. Walter Payton, yeah. one of the gre- greatest running backs of all time. Yeah. No Super Bowl touchdowns. The yeah. fridge? Yeah. The overweight lineman? Yeah, how many that did he fell, he, he had one. Did he just one? Yeah. You know what? If I were going to be named after an appliance, yeah. microwave. Microwave? Yeah. Or toaster oven. Toaster oven. Call me toasty. No, I don't think so. Oven man. Okay. T.O. T.O. It's a cool name. Toaster oven. T.O. Townsend. Rice cooker. <laughs> bread just, maker. Let's just start naming appliances, I, right? I'd like to go by the bread maker. I'm the George Foreman. That's kind of what's in my house. <laughs> Do you have a Foreman grill? I do. I'm, I'm about to start a diet that I would need to pretty much buy a Foreman grill because they, I, apparently I'm going to down a lot of chicken. They work well. Bully. Just throw the chicken on there, cook it up, walk out of the room, wait till <sighs> the, you smell the fire, go back in, put it out. Then you know you're you halfway you've, there. You've done it. You cooked it too long. Ten sure, you have like the extinguisher yeah. powder. All that's over how it, I cook, so I don't cook at my house anymore. I love extinguisher powder. Mm. Mm. Puts a nice flavor on the on the chicken. That's how we grew up at my house. Mom, can we have some extinguisher fire extinguisher powder all over our meal today? Sit down. 
Hey, uh, we're uh, no, we need headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the world that we need to be paying attention to? President Barack Obama landed in Cuba on Sunday in his first trip to the island nation. Today, he will be. It was the first time a U.S. president's been in Cuba in 88 years. He'll meet with Cuban President Raul Castro today. The three-day trip was part of a greater effort by the U.S. and Cuba to normalize relations after decades of hostility between the two nations. During an interview on Face the Nation Sunday, Senator Lindsey Graham suggested that the path forward in the Middle East is brighter than the path forward for the Republican Party. That if Donald Trump becomes the nominee. Wow, yeah. There is a pathway forward in the Middle East. I don't see one now for the Republican Party. Is Mr. Trump the answer for the problems in the Mideast? His foreign policy is gibberish. The Mideast is a mess. The Republican Party is at a tipping point here, Graham said, who recently decided to try and back Ted Cruz for the unity of the party. But as he says, the Middle East policies to me seem to be less of a mess right now than the Republican Party is as a whole. Totally true. Which is interesting. In that note, Donald Trump speaking at the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee's annual policy conference today. And not all APAC members are thrilled about it. Some rabbis plan to walk out when Trump takes the stage because they don't think he is as pro-Israel as Trump purports to be. Huh. Hillary Clinton has already spoken this morning and directed some of her comments towards Trump. We need steady hands. Not a president who says he's neutral on Monday pro-Israel on Tuesday, and who knows what on Wednesday, because everything's negotiable. Well, my friends, Israel's security is non-negotiable. There you go. Hmm. You'd think that the crowd would be cheering louder. They didn't, it's like, oh, okay. Like, that didn't seem like, the way she was saying it was like grabbing. Part the way the sound was, part that that went on for a while, and I got to get on with this. I can't have a pause for Mm -hmm. 20, 30 seconds. A U.S. district court judge has asked the Obama administration to block access to the records of a businessman who links Donald Trump to the mafia. Oh, boy. According to the Associated Press, despite pleading guilty in mafia-linked stock fraud scheme, Felix Slater became a senior advisor to Trump. With an office on the same Trump Tower floor as his boss, the AP has been pushing for access to files that were sealed when Slater decided to cooperate with the authorities. Oh, boy. So, the mob. The mob. See what happens there. Uh, In case you didn't know, Apple is hosting an event this morning. Today, the big announcement of something little. A smaller phone. Um, They're calling, kind of the theme, the name of the event, they're calling it is Let Us Loop You In. Some believe that that is they're announcing a, a smaller phone. There's going to be some iPads, but they're also going to talk about their fight with the FBI, which, of course, they go to court with oh, tomorrow morning. Yes. On Tuesday. So, they, so they're going to use it to update their stance against the FBI, but also and drop the new phone. I mean, yep. announce the new phone. Here's some new products. And by the way, mm. the FBI is wrong. So we'll see what happens. Uh, there's other products they could be putting out, but it's all speculation and no one knows really. Oh, there's going to be some new wristbands for your watch. Oh, good. Oh, that's what I need. Right. Are they free? No. Okay. They're nylon, though, apparently. Ooh. Ooh. I want a corduroy one. Really? Yeah, I want it to rub against my pants when I walk. Okay. You know what I mean? So it makes that cool corduroy sound? Yeah. No. Okay. (laughs) Just checking. Can a guy not ask a question? Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking relationships Stick with us, folks. Tons, uh, tons of information. And who better to do it than Dr. Brian Willoughby, uh, the great uh, insider here at BYU. Uh, give us the latest and greatest research on relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studios, our good friend, Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's an assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's also the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. If you go to the website, relateinstitute.com, uh, great resource, resource, whether you're single, married, uh, or like a professional, you can actually send people there and they can take these assessments and find out what, Dr. Willoughby. First of all, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Then what would they find out? They'd find out everything about who they are. Are like internally, really, like everything about themselves. You, uh, you are a white male. <laughs> yeah. You are overweight. Yeah. You have this. What would they? What they, would they find out yeah. that would matter they, in the they, relationship? The assessment is designed to give them insight into the strengths and weaknesses of their relationship. That's cool. Is that you know we we all know that our relationships are okay in some sense and, and not in others, and and this is a research validated assessment. You don't have to go to a therapist yeah. for. You don't yeah. have to go. You know, somewhere else, you can just take it in the comfort of your home, and it'll say, "Here's here's where you're struggling. Here's some areas you might want to think about. Here's some areas of strength." Yeah, and it'll give you that really good breakdown of of all the things we know matter in terms of relationships. But it doesn't say, eh, "You're no. married to a loser. No. You must eject." It does not do that. It nope. just says, "This is what's going on," but then it gives you resources, right. articles, yep. things you can go do, discussion questions you can talk to, and you can actually take it. With or without your partner. Cool. And if you take it with your partner, it'll actually combine your answers together so you can put them all in one graph and say, here's what you think is going on. Oh, interesting. Here's what your partner thinks is going yeah. on. Yeah. And then uh, this is what my girlfriend says. Right. Which that's a whole third. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we haven't added the yeah, third Don't do that one because that's a nightmare. Yeah. Talk about – and the singles on your site – uh, because singles, it's a weird deal. A lot of people don't know where to go to date somebody. So if you're somebody that doesn't go to a bar, mm-hmm. you, it's hard to find somebody. You had mm-hmm. talked about this before about the marketplace kind of shrinks. So right. if you don't marry at a certain age, yeah, you may have set yourself up because your age group of peers are kind of moving on. Right. And then all of a sudden you got to go find them somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in that – Oftentimes now service-oriented job where I'm working 60, 70-plus hours trying to move up that corporate ladder. And now all of a sudden my social circle are the person across the cubicle from me, (laughs) one or two people at the gym with headphones on, and maybe a religious group, maybe something else. But but yeah, I've I've lost a lot of those opportunities that I used to have for social interaction to find dating partners. So then – where do we? Where are they supposed to go? Some would say go online, and so as a researcher in marriage and family, what what what's your take in the online dating world? Yeah, so it's interesting because we we do see this spike in online dating yeah. around twenty five. Right? Really? Yeah. Yes, it's it's. I've left college. I've I've tried. You know, for a lot of people, I've I've tried that to keep dating for a couple of years, and now I'm just frustrated. So, <laughs> so and I'm approaching that kind of doomsday date a lot of people have in their head, which is 30. Yeah. Oh, right? don't, okay. I, you got to be married by 30. You got to be 30, especially if you want kids. And so so a lot of more people, you know, thousands, millions of people now are turning to these online dating sites um, to, to, one, try to find a lot of people. But two, you know, what do all these sites advertise? We'll find them for you. Well, yeah. yeah not only will we give you access. You don't have to do work. You don't have to do anything. We'll, we'll have you take this assessment. Yeah. We'll link you up. We'll help you find your soulmate. Um, and it's, it's interesting because there's starting to be some research that's come out now that suggests that these relationships that are formed online are a lot less stable than wow. other types of relationships. Why? Why would you – what would your gut feeling be as a you know, researcher? So, so full disclosure here. Yeah. 
I at one point in my career helped design one of these matching sites. Did you? Okay. I will not name which company it's out. Yeah. It is. Um, but but the interesting thing is that most of them are set up to do everything wrong in terms of how you start a relationship. Really? If, if you if you go onto one of these sites and you look at what they're doing, number one is that most of them are set up so that the way, you know, I can take an assessment, I can have them match people. But most of what I do is I go on, I put in these characteristics. I want, you know, a woman who's this tall. Five, seven, yeah. And they don't do weight, but we'll do slim build or athletic build, right? So it's kind of these (laughs) pseudo weight things. right? And then I get these pictures, right? And I can just scroll through all these profiles and find someone. Find your your mate, your your life partner, your, your eternal... Love. Right. Yeah. And, and and the problem is, is that it makes dating a shopping endeavor. Right. Right. Like you're picking out fruit. Mm. You know, I look at yeah. this app. Oh, that one's got a spot over there. I put that one back. <laughs> and it, it's it, true. It, it builds into this mentality of I'm trying to find the perfect person, yeah. which doesn't exist. Right. And then if I do find what I think from a profile picture is the perfect person and we start dating, inevitably something will come up that I don't like about you. And then it's, oh. Back to the list, Next. right? Because look, there's there's thousands, millions of millions of people out there. I will find someone better for you. It's so true. Yeah. The other thing that happens then is if I do do the assessments and I'm getting matched with other people, you know, eHarmony and other people that will do this, is if you actually look at what they're assessing, they're assessing things like depression and anxiety and personality traits and then matching people based on similarities in a lot of yeah, cases. Yeah, you're both depressed. Yeah, you're both depressed. You got something to talk about, right? Which therapist have you seen? Oh, What's your medication? horrible. And so just, just the, the way that they match people, it, again, doesn't have any connection with what we know from research is actually what matter. I mean, there, there are a few things that you usually want to match in terms of life values, yeah, worldviews, religion, yeah. religion, those type of things, you know, family background. But that's not what they're matching people. They're matching people on personality traits and, you know, are you red or blue and, and those oh, things that don't necessarily yeah. matter. So all of a sudden you you are – you might even have a placebo effect. It might even feel good. You might mm-hmm. even be finding people. I always have seen these sites as they're useful simply because they bring people by you. Right. Yeah. Which is better than what you're getting just sitting in your seat right. in a call center. Yeah, we there, there's something out there called the filter theory of attraction, which yeah. helps us figure out why people end up together. And the first filter is this fancy propinquity, mm. which is who are you around, okay. right? Is that I have to date people I have access to. Right, right. And so you're right. What, one of the things the site does that can be helpful is – it does give me access to a lot of different people that are potential dating partners right. that are but, single. That but are not if there. you're excluding them all. I mean, right. people will exclude some. So many people that I coach will tell me that yeah, they're not having any luck. Right. And I'm like, well, why? And I'm like, because everybody that's wanting to go out with me, they're just like, they're dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say, and you exactly. think, wow. Yeah, and so it's it's not even necessarily the sites. Right. It's the mentality that those sites promote. Exactly. Like I said, that shopping list mentality mm-hmm. of I'm trying to find that perfect fruit out yeah. there. And as soon as we get in that mindset of finding a perfect partner or having a soulmate, I have one person out there I'm trying to find. Right. It usually undermines commitment yeah. in the relationship, which is core foundation of everything in a relationship is commitment. So and, – and commitment to learn, to grow, to change, mm-hmm. to figure it out, to – so – you know, yeah, you're not going to find the perfect person. You kind of need to – do you need to just be flexible? Right. Because a lot of people would say, well, yeah, but – I mean they've got to be good looking. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. OK. Yeah. But that's not what's going to keep you together right. for 50 years. Well, and also right? the research even shows they become more good looking the more you get to know them, right? Right. So mm-hmm. – Yeah. Change, it's a different type of attraction. Yeah, you've got to be attracted. Well, sure. I mean yeah. – Sure. 
And that's that's what I tell people is that's what brings you together. That's that's the catalyst that's, yeah. for a relationship. So the, it's not that physical appearance and physical presentation doesn't matter. Because right. it does. It does. That's what brings you together. But it's not what builds a relationship. And it long-term. won't be what keeps you together. Yeah, it doesn't want, yeah, it's not what keeps you together. That's that commitment. I was mm-hmm. working with a couple last night actually. And the first thing, you know, having communication problems. And the very first thing I said is before we talk about anything else, let's talk about commitment. That this whole conversation is different if we go into it with the mindset of I'm committed to you. So we're working on something. That's we're going to work yeah. on yeah. our flaws versus I'm going to see if this works out yeah. and then I'll make a decision mm-hmm. about if I stay. Because if, if somebody senses, I call it being in, that you're not in, you're yeah. not in commitment, yeah. then it yeah, then this whole thing goes different. Right, yeah, because I've got one foot out the door uh-huh. already. And I'm that's what we you. see with the online dating. A lot of people have one foot out the door, at least one foot back on the right. site, right, browsing yeah. as I'm dating you just in case. I think, it, yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, we'll have to come back, Brian. Give us a sec. More with Dr. Brian Willoughby, assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. Also go to relateinstitute.com, relateinstitute.com. And uh, look at those assessments. Great tools for you, whether you're a single or a couple. Get in there. Check those out. Solutions for professionals as well. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Brian Willoughby when we come back right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with Dr. Brian Willoughby, one of BYU's greatest professors, one of the younger ones, too. And I'm sure he's got a red hot chili pepper on his, um, what do they call that site? Rate my professor. Rate my professor. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Every professor hates it when I bring that up, but he's a great guy. And he's helping you learn how to have better relationships. Go to his website. It's uh, relateinstitute.com. He's the director of Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization. And uh, it's it's taken years of BYU researchers to put together this site, yeah. and they've handed the keys and the and the reins to you. Yeah. Well, do, do they not know that you're a crazy driver? Yeah. Well, everyone else was busy, and so they looked around the room, and I was the only one. <laughs> Brian, what are you there. doing, man? <laughs> like, okay, I'll are you do done? This. Are you done sweeping? But yeah, it, I, I mean, it's back to the '70s is when when that assessment tool started to get developed. So yeah. it's almost 40 years of research now. Well, and that. it's it's really cool because you can take it by yourself and just mm-hmm. go work on you. You can go work as a couple. Mm-hmm. You can work on it as a single. Yep. What does it tell you as a single? So as a single, what we have, it's called a ready assessment. And it's going to oh. answer the question, are you ready to be in a relationship? That's and good. so it's going to ask you a bunch of questions about yourself. And, uh-huh. and it's going to give you an assessment report just like our couple one. But now it's going to speak to what are some things that you might want to work on individually. Hmm. As you work towards a healthy relationship. Well, what would that be? So what would be ideal? So if you're single out there, what are the things you want to make sure you've got covered in order to be an ideal candidate? Yeah. So one of the things we talk about in the report is just a lot of the same things actually in a relationship like communication skills, interpersonal skills, conflict resolution. Just because you're not in a relationship doesn't mean you're not having conflict and communication with everyone in your life. 
And it's not like you start from ground zero once you start dating. You're just bringing in all of those communication skills that you have with your coworkers, with your friends, with your parents. Yeah. And so it gives you a sense, and we talk about that's that's one thing that you might want to work on you before got, you, you get in a relationship. Well, it's all about conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. Plus, it's about, I guess, selfishness. Right. Yep. So we talk about personality traits a little bit, yeah. kindness, cool. flexibility. You know, these things that we know are, are good for a relationship um, that, that are going to help you have a healthy relationship. We talk about things like attachment. Mm-hmm. Good. I was um, going to ask because that's your last time you talked about how that might be what's prolonging some of these, yeah. Yeah, these it's, people it's, from wanting to marry. How open are you to be emotionally close with other people mm-hmm. in your life? And we would give you a sense of that because we also know that's an important part yeah. of the relationship. Is, um, and so they take the assessment. Then they kind of know, oh, see, I'm not – so I should just give up. No, yeah, then it gives we, clues. We have, we, the whole thing just says yes, no. Should you try? <laughs> you will not. never marry. Yeah, no, no. We do it just like the the couple assessment where we give you graphs yeah. and we have kind of a, a blue, white, and red. And so the red is, hey, this is something you might want to think about getting some resources and helping with. That's you great. know, white is think about it. It could be a problem, could not. And blue is you're probably good. That's great. Good to go. Locked yeah. and loaded. Locked and loaded. And so if you're about to get married, that's a great thing to go do together. Yes. Yeah. In fact, we have. A lot of religious leaders, a lot of counselors around the country that do premarital counseling that use Relate because it's not just something for, uh, well, we're having problems and we don't want to go to a therapist, but it's a great tool to figure out, okay, what are those things before we get married that we want to kind of go in eyes wide open on that we're going to be proactive right from the beginning on working on? Because every couple has weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Every couple has things that they're struggling with or might struggle with in the future. And as I, I tell my students, um, one of the best things my advisor told me in my PhD program, one of the things that stuck with me is he said, most couples don't break or end their marriage because of the Ebola virus. They right. said most couples end their marriage because the common cold wasn't treated and it turned into pneumonia. <laughs> That's true. Huh? It's a slow kind of drip. Yeah. It's no little things. It's that. things that if you addressed at the beginning would never have gotten up. But it creeps, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is why character and communication and commitment. I mean, that's why we make a commitment. When you think about it, you make a commitment with hundreds of people watching you, make a promise to each other Mm -hmm. so that those people will be there over the lifetime, right? Right. Right. We need that. There's a community side to this that says you're in for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. There's that public declaration of commitment. Yeah. To each other again, as we talked about, that commitment then forms the foundation is that couples that internalize that commitment, that remember it, that, you know, 10 years down the line, we're going through a rough patch, a rough week, a rough month, even a rough year. I can think back to that commitment and say, okay, I committed to you. We're going to get through this. I'm going to put my resources into this. Those are the couples that make it. But what if, what if all of a sudden you see, there's a surprise, your partner, Forgot to tell you about their gambling problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Am I just supposed to stay committed to that? I hear that all the time. Right. Well, in some ways, yes. Right? That and was at what least the try. commitment was, right? Yeah, that's what the commitment was. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you might eventually decide that this person isn't reciprocating that. Right. That's the other thing I always tell people is that you can be the most healthy, well-communicating, you know, have yeah. all the skills you need. But if your partner isn't doing any of those things... There's not. nothing you can right. do. Um, but yeah, when those things come up that that break trust, whether it's a gambling or other addiction, whether it's a secret, whether, you know, whatever it is, that if that first reaction is, let me understand why and let me build towards 
working and, and building this and, and helping us get past this, yeah. that oftentimes will help a lot of couples get past those things. You know, and again, sometimes if, you know, it's been 10 years and you've had that gambling thing and you it, keep saying you're going to do something not and it's away. not and you're, you're not working, then yeah, we have another conversation. Right. But that first reaction, and that's oftentimes in therapy when that happens is the first thing you're in is, is in crisis mode. Right, exactly. And you're just helping them process the emotions to get past it. We're not going to make any decisions. Yeah. We're not going to try to figure out exactly. We're just going to. Let's get through the next couple of weeks. Let's yeah, and, and let's start learning what's really going on. What's right. really the problem? Yeah, and I guess having that commitment and being in makes it so it's safe. That's a safe thing to explore, right. and it doesn't mean we're we're permanently in. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you can't change, but it means right now let's just explore. Yeah, and there's there's power and there's safety in that yeah. for both partners. Right, to know that okay, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're talking about, I don't have to doubt this, this relationship that we have. Yeah. Because you also need that to heal. Somebody might need that safety to know that they can go deal with an addiction or they can go deal with a problem. Yeah. It's huge. What about um, problems? Some people think that having problems in a marriage is a sign that it's doomed and it was never supposed to work because good couples don't have problems. (laughs) Right? I, I want to meet one of those couples <laughs> one time. Where are they? I keep hearing about exactly. them. And you are one I of those. I haven't found one that, right. that doesn't have any problems. No, it's every couple has problems. You should, right? Because right? yeah, that's should. normal. Yeah. And, and in fact, some scholars have even argued that there will be a handful of things that couples have that will never be reconciled in their entire marriage. You can't fix them. You can't fix them. You know, whether it's political yeah. or, or something else, that that's pretty common for couples that they just kind of learn to yeah. live with it. Um, but every, every couple is going to have conflict. When I teach conflict um, to clients or to couples I'm working with or to my students, I always point out that conflict is not inherently bad. Right. It's how you deal with it. Conflict yeah. just means to have a disagreement. How you deal with the conflict, that's what's key, is, is how are we dealing with it in a healthy or unhealthy way. And so that's what really matters is not if we have problems, but how are we dealing with them? Are we using that as an opportunity to grow as a couple and learn about each other, become a better person? Are we using those as opportunities to fight and have conflict and resentment and negative emotion? It's so true. And to know that, I mean, think about it. You're not going to get through anything. You're going to eventually have your parents, your in-laws that will get sick and will need to be cared for. You're eventually going to have maybe a financial issue or a job loss. Right. Life is going to throw you a curve. Right. Well, you've got to be ready for it. Yeah, And then think about the paradigm shift of we're having all these fights about my in-laws, let's say, of – isn't this fun that we get uh, or exciting? We get this opportunity to be better as a couple now. Yeah, because we get to work. Yeah, on you this. see it as an opportunity to grow to stronger. Yeah, instead yeah. of uh, see validate, I shouldn't have made this decision. Right. Yeah. ten years ago. But now this this is going to make us one of those couples. You know, the eighty year old couple sitting across from each other. Right. Everyone thinks is so cute. Oh, aren't they we're, cute? Yeah. We're slowly working towards that. That's right. Where you're sharing like teeth. Yeah. Oh, that's a story. Yeah. That's a gross story. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they only had one set of teeth. Um, well, Brian, we appreciate you. Brian Willoughby's his name. Go to check out his website, drbrianwilloughby.com or relateinstitute.com. Two great resources from really one of the best, uh, Dr. Brian Willoughby, the man, the myth, the legend, and a red hot chili pepper on Rate Your Professor. I don't know if you are. I'm sure you are. I, I think. Yeah. He's got. I don't one. think I'm He's a got, No, one. no. It's been confirmed by our staff. Okay, you so are. A, you are one. You have one red hot chili pepper. Well, I could just retire now. You're done. Yeah. You don't need anything else. You're done. Brian Willoughby's his name. Uh, check him out, Doctor Brian Willoughby. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, everybody. Trying to elevate our game as we shoot it down to BYU Sports Nation so we can match their same level. We're taking it opera today. Uh, we're going to be talking down with our good buddies Spencer Linton, Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Do you like that music? I can't hear any music. Oh, it was beautiful. What music was it? It was opera. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Do you, do, are you, you're big into opera, aren't you, Jace? Um, I, I've never, I've never been to an opera. I, I can honestly tell you that the only <laughs> song from an opera that I think I like is uh, from Phantom of the Opera. Mm. Kind of like the the love ballad. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only one I really know. Man, I'm not opposed to it. You, you, you've got I've never had the opportunity to go. Well, if you've you've been to every ball game in the history of the world. Universe, actually. Universe, but never an opera. No, no. Me either. If, Really? So say, all right. So no, no. I would think most people probably have not been to an opera. Yeah, I mean it's, you know, it's 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 expensive, and it's they're really long. Yeah, and, and you've got you know intermissions and <laughs> how dare both of you criticize the beauty <laughs> and the majesty of the opera? Um, wow, Spencer, talk about opera for us. I just gave you the extent of my opera knowledge. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> He's out. He's, He's out. Hey, how how are your brackets doing, guys? Mine are actually better than most. I think I'm in like the 80th percentile. Are you? Yeah, me too on one of mine. I see. I only have one. Oh, you do? Yeah, I see, have one bracket. I have like 800. <laughs> you and the rest of America. Yeah, but I feel like I'm doing really well. See, I look at it the same way I look at like fantasy football. You, you, you've got to do one mm-hmm. because I, I can't handle more than one. It's because when when one is gone, it just messes yeah. everything else up. I, I think you've got to pick a bracket and let's say you you put it into other you know with other groups, but it still has to be with the same bracket. You can't pick this winner in this right. bracket right, and, right. and this group. No. And it's got to have you got to do it one time. Yeah, but see, I like to have like a loser, like where the losers win and the winners dominate, but it didn't, none of it mattered. The only one that mattered is the one where I made it up myself and just, I've been, uh, not to brag, pretty close. I'm like 90%. Wow. I know. But a lot of it was lucky because I didn't know 90% of the teams. Generally, those are the people that win. Yes. I know. I know. I was going to win the million dollar bracket, the first perfect bracket. And I, I think I lost that in the second game. Holy cow. It was depressing. Hey, did you watch the game last night? I Which one? Oh, the my epic heavens. meltdown by Northern Iowa? That, I, yeah, that was huge. That bugged me. That, it was just like you felt bad. Yeah, no. And there was right. nothing you could do to stop it. And Wisconsin, did you see that last second shot? Absolutely. Bronson three the buzzer. Hit, he only hit a three with... 12 seconds left to tie the game, and oh, then, then they hit the game winner. It was so cool. That is why this is the greatest tournament ever, because all of the, any team can win on any given day, except against Kansas. See, the people that tune in, if, you're the, if you are the, the higher seed, some people, I know some people call it the higher seed, the lower seed. If you're the team that's expected to win, nobody wants you to win. Right. Everybody watches that game waiting for the Cinderella story. That's mm-hmm. all people tune in for. It's like NASCAR and watching the, the, the wrecks. Mm. Nobody, nobody wants to see somebody go around the track without having any issues. That's They're true. looking for the wrecks. That's, I love a good wreck. Honestly. Many say I am a good wrec. <laughs> did you? What did you guys think of the Gonzaga-Utah game? 
<sighs> um, it was awesome. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Sweet, sweet <laughs> majesty. Uh, uh, Gonzaga, a uh, seated 11th, beats number three Utah by, I mean, like 23 points. Gonzaga yeah. was a, a one and a half point favorite going into that game. What happened? Well, I think that it's just, it's all about matchups in college basketball. And for Utah, Gonzaga was a terrible matchup because they go through their All-American center, Jakob Pertl. Well, it just so happens that Gonzaga has an NBA lottery pick in DeMontis Sabonis, and he won, he straight up won that head-to-head battle, oh. improved his draft stock, and then his guards showed up and played like a... I mean, yeah, they, shooting they like crazy. Out of their mind, like hot and good from the outside. It was crazy. For all intents and purposes, that game was over at halftime. Yeah, totally. Well, and they were going to have a good run now. Now they play uh, Syracuse. I mean, this is going... There's Gonzaga's a run. getting back to the Elite Eight for the second year in a row. That's amazing. And this was a down year for Gonzaga in terms of, of conference play. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they lost so many seniors, and this was a, a team that most people looked at and said, you know what, this, this just isn't as good as other teams in the past. Well, it, they, they, that may have been true, and it may still be true, but boy, have they found a nice rhythm now. Mm. You ready, for, you ready for your hook for today's BYU yeah. Sports Nation? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so with Gonzaga doing what they've done, and knowing that BYU won in Spokane back in January, mm-hmm. naturally you think, well, that's that's got to be BYU's best win of the season, right? Right, for sure. I'm going to tell you why it's not. And that Virginia Tech on Friday was BYU's best win of the season. Ooh. And I'll tell you, go with your initial gut feeling. <laughs> because it was Gonzaga. It was totally Gonzaga. And and what about what about um the NIT third round? I mean, this is BYU's doing great. Absolutely. Yeah. They're in the third round, they take on Creighton. We're gonna to talk to the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Greg McDermott, his son Doug, uh, is a star in the NBA for the Chicago Bulls right now. Hmm. Uh, so we'll talk to him about uh, what the Blue Jays bring to Provo on Tuesday night. That game will be on ESPN, the Mothership, with Roxy Bernstein and Fran Fischilla calling that game on Tuesday night at 7 Mountain, 9 Eastern. Big time. Big hey, and time. the winner gets to go to MSG for the Final Four of the NIT. Dude, you know, I can't handle MSG. Bad for my system. You and my dad, Chinese food. Stay with <laughs> Chinese right food, right through Matt. me. I can't stand it. Is that the same MSG? It is, it is not. Okay. Uh, okay. We're talking about the world's most famous arena. Okay. Uh, sorry. Did I say famous? Famous. Yeah, you did, fam- with a T. It's the most famous arena Yeah, I don't ever. know why I said that. Most famous arena. <laughs> MSG, huh? Yeah, Madison Square Garden. Oh, that one. It's not square and it's yeah, not a garden. So not. I don't know how the name no, came No, I believe out. it's infamous. He's so famous, he's infamous. <laughs> Can you name that movie, Matt? Uh, no, but uh, I know I laughed at it. Three Amigos. It... Three Amigos, oh, man. See, I've got to go back and look that the up. The infamous El Guapo. <laughs> <laughs> you are El infamous El Guapo. La fam- El famoso? La fam... Yeah. Not going to speak Spanish right now. Okay. Hey, um, so you guys, you're still doing your show, though, right? That we are. And, Just like we talked about three minutes ago. And what else is going to be on the show? <laughs> Anything else? That oh, is like a surprise. All hoops all do, the do you have time. a sleeper? Do you have a sleeper section? We don't have a sleeper section, but we do have Anson Winder on the show as well, mm. former BYU basketballer. We're going to ask him, has he finally embraced the NIT? And we have BYU basketball assistant Terry Nashif. Wow. Who is always entertaining. You guys. I'm writing that down. Top of the hour, right? You're doing this at the top of the hour? Yeah. Yes. Why <sighs> Gonzaga is not the best 
basketball win of the season for BYU. Or that it is. Or what about St. Joe's? <laughs> what about St. Saint- <laughs> Mary's? Or is it St. Mary's? <laughs> is that who it was? Yeah. yeah. St. Saint- Joe's lost last night to Oregon. I saw that. that. Yeah. That's why you're thinking about that. That was exactly why. <laughs> it's an honest mistake. It's an honest mistake. St. <laughs> Mary's, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, I guess we only beat them once, right? We beat them once. Yeah. They're well, in the NIT alive in the quarterfinals just like BYU. Oh, boy. Could be a WCC showdown could, could at, uh, at uh, Madison Square Garden, not St. MSG. St. Mary's BYU game in New York. <laughs> I wonder how BYU do against St. Joe's, though. Uh, not great. <laughs> Can I just say that? I, they they just barely lost to Oregon. Oregon from the Pac-12, who is the only team of seven Pac-12 teams still alive in the NCAA tournament. Mm. It is the Conference of Champions. That is a great point. <laughs> Good point, kids. Okay, well, have a great show. Thanks, uh, sir. I'm excited to be watching it and listening to it. And I want to see if uh, Jason can sneak any more T's in to words that don't have the word, the letter T. We'll see what we can do. Famous. Um, <laughs> we're going we're to trite really hard today. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Turn up test. Uh, okay, guys, have a great show. Thank you. Knock him dead. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's hard. It's hard to get a T in a word that's not supposed to have a T. We've had a great show. It's hard to come back on Monday. I think, I don't think, was I here Friday? No. That's why. Yeah, I've totally lost my rhythm. Totally lost my rhythm. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? In the bad girls category, a woman uh, who Latasha Ann Wilborn, 34, uh, she is now being charged with... Uh, not just slashing her ex-boyfriend's hand with a knife, but she also apparently bit off one of his eyebrows. Ouch. Ouch. Ooh. Ouch. Okay, stop that. Uh, she's pled guilty to charges of second-degree battery and was sentenced to five years in prison. She bit off her boyfriend's eyebrow. Like, I mean, I guess got to be careful. He was probably asking for it. I don't know. The victim said he walked to a local hospital where he received 12 stitches in his hand before returning to his house. Shortly after his arrival, another argument ensued that ended with Wilburn pushing him off his chair and um, throwing him onto the bed, sitting on top of him. And he she bit off pretty much most of his right eyebrow. Wow. That's a bad girl. Here's one uh, just to give you some advice. If you are a New York woman um, and, you know, if you happen to have made your own homemade license plate in New York City, uh, it's not going to work. Okay, just letting you know that right now. A New York woman is facing several charges after Erie County Sheriff's deputies discovered her handcrafted license plate during a traffic stop. A deputy pulled over Amanda Schweikert, 28, in western New York town of Springville Wednesday morning after the officer noticed Schweikert's license plate just didn't look right. According to Erie County Sheriff's Office, Schweikert's license plate had been fashioned from cardboard and then painted to look like a legit uh, license plate. Schweikert was also driving cars uh, on a suspended registration and without insurance. The 28-year-old has been charged with felony count of possessing a forged instrument. She will, however... 
be the talk of the town in the license plate manufacturing department of the New York uh, penal system. Congratulations to to you, Amanda Schweikert. If you are going to try to, uh, you know, cheat the government, be careful uh, how you do it because, folks, you're not probably going to cheat them by forging a license plate. Come on. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Hey, as you know, too, um, we always like to end on a hero story. And the only problem is, um, listen to this. This is such a cool story from firefighter Ryan McEwen in Detroit, Michigan. He's our hero of the day. Ryan McEwen spent $1,023 on a Detroit family and received cookies, fruit, and a balloon in return. He doesn't regret it one bit after responding to a medical call at a home earlier this morning. Uh, 35-year-old McEwen learned Christy Stone has five kids, including two teens with muscular dystrophy. The family's electricity had been shut off because of unpaid bills, meaning 18-year-old Troy, who was on a ventilator, would need to be taken to the hospital in order to survive. After Troy was put on the ventilator, the family's electricity cost tripled. McEwen himself has been there. He said he was laid off during the recession and only rehired last year when the department was awarded a grant. McEwen says that might sound corny, but we are here to help. He paid the bill and power was restored within 20 minutes. McEwen says he was glad to do it. I hope it inspires other people to do similar things. So firefighter Ryan McEwen from Detroit, Michigan. You're the hero of the day, my friend. How cool is that? And again, that's all it takes, folks, to make a difference in someone's life. For some, you can give your money. For some, you just give your time, your energy, your focus. We all need somebody to look after us uh, at some point in our lives. So let's just look out. Spend the day today looking for someone to help, someone to serve, someone to just lift their life with a smile, perhaps. That's the reason we do the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Join us if you want on TuneIn. Look for our podcast there or on iTunes. Or also just go look up the, the BYU Radio app and you can download the app for Android or iOS. Download all of our past shows. Forward them on to your friends. We'll be back again tomorrow, folks. Thanks. And until tomorrow, watch out for each other. Make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.